That's my father. The man beside him is Howland Reed, Mira's father. Sir Arthur Dane. The sword of the morning. Father said he was the best swordsman he ever saw. Lord Stark. I looked for you on the trident. And we weren't there. Your friend, the usurper, would lie beneath the ground if we had been. The Mad King is dead. Rhaegar lies beneath the ground. Why weren't you there to protect your prince? Our prince wanted us here. Where's my sister? I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. And now it begins. No. Now it ends. When you play the game of microphones, you win or you die. From within the house of black and white, it's Sir Duncan and Lady Rachel. Well met, tower defending Kingsguard and candy seeking little birds, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, the transmogrifying horror. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, the Unbroken. (laughs) And this (laughs) is episode 95. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones season 6, episode 3, Oath... Oathbreaker. I almost said Oathkeeper. I know. Every time I uh, I go to say Oathkeeper, even when I'm typing it and I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. (laughs) And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season 7. If not, there's still time to be cut down with an underhanded stab to the back of the neck by a Kranig man, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. What an episode. Oh, man. Season I six. I love season six. Yeah. As, we, as we're going, and I realize every episode, this is like one of my favorite seasons. Yeah. No question. Sure. So good. Yeah. So what's... Um, What's your number five for this episode, Lady Rachel? Let's see. My number five is the small council kicks Cersei out. Crazy scene, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think finally Cersei is getting dealt what she's been dealing to all of these people. <laughs> the, yeah. the tables have been turned. They've seen her weak and are, are going to... You know, like Jamie said, take advantage of the situation. Yeah, like she can't come back after that. No. Well, and, um, <laughs> maybe she can. So, Pycelle farts. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> yes, I love that. He's talking about what a monstrosity the mountain is and that Kyburn should do away with him. And this is what got him kicked out of the Citadel. And Yep. You know, he's talking total shit about the mountain and he walks and he looks over and he like lets out this little fart. And I yeah. just 
the it's comedic so humor in that is so perfect oh yeah he's, he's talking all this shit and doesn't realize that the mountain is right there you know and he looks over and it just just can't help it just squeezes out a fart <laughs> i feel like this scene has to be referencing that bad lip reading video the uh, you know the famous game of thrones one. Oh, you think so medieval fun time <laughs> land yeah it has to be because there's that whole scene where they get the guy the supplicant shows up at court my hot dog stand's got no ketchup you know and then grand <laughs> mr Picel lets out a fart that lasts for like 30 35 seconds hot dog stand's got no ketchup <laughs> every time you think it's over he's like oh, he keeps going, going. yeah so oh, i feel like this scene has to be referencing that Probably. It was just so funny. Like, yeah. and no one even bats an eye. Like, no one looks over at him or anything. <laughs> They're all too it's terrified so by the mountain. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. Um, so Cersei looks over to Lena and she's like, why the fuck are you here? <laughs> like, who invited you to this tea party? And Lady Elena was like, I'm here to help on some s- several issue, s- such as Marjorie's. You know, that's what she implies here. The queen's imprisonment. And Cersei's like, I'm free. And Elena's like, you're not the queen. You're not married to the king. (laughs) Like, Marjorie is the queen. Yeah, she mentions that that whole thing. And Cersei's like, oh, yeah, we do need to address my grievances for being captured. And she's like, I'm not talking about you. (laughs) Yeah. That's fucking great. So, Kevin who we know is not afraid to stand up to Cersei when shit goes wrong. He's like, you have no place here. What are you doing here? Like you have, you're not the hand. You're, (laughs) what are you doing here? You're not welcome here. And Jamie's like, well, I'm Lord commander of the Kingsguard and the Kingsguard does have a position. And Pycelle's like, well, you know, Sir Gerald, <laughs> Gerald Hightower had a seat on the Mad King's Council. But. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> King Robert saw things a little bit different. Yeah, it was interesting that he mentioned um, Sir Gerald Hightower because he was one of the two Kingsguard that we saw at the Tower of Joy. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the White Bull, Lord Commander of the Mad King's Kingsguard, killed oh, that's right. at the Tower yes. of Joy right before uh, Arthur Dane. I love learning stuff like that. It always enhances my watches the next time around. Totally. So Jamie pulls up some chairs and they both sit down and Kevin is just not having any of this. And he's like, you guys can stay, but we're going to leave. And they all get up (laughs) and walk out of the room. (laughs) Oh man, that part is so funny too. It's so gangster that moment. And Elena looks over at her and is just like, ha ha you like in your face yeah cersei's like well you can't make us leave so we better just start talking and they're like nope nope we can't make you leave but you can't make us stay unless you plan to have that thing murder all of us which i thought was a pretty (laughs) cool line yeah definitely and i love how they get up like one by one too Like, it's Kevin, then it's Elena, and then Tyrell, which I found interesting. So Mace Tyrell is no longer Team Team Cersei. Cersei. I just found that very interesting. He completely gravitates towards power and 
after everything that's happened to Cersei, he no longer sees her as that. Yep. So he's gonna, you know, switch his alliances to who's ever in power. Team Kavan. Kavan. <laughs> Kavan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like when Pycelle goes to leave too and he sort of stops right in front of Gregor for a second and like, ooh, gets like Looks a, at him. a little flustered and scurries past. <laughs> An abomination. Yeah. Yes. So cool. And it's just, we're just left with Cersei and the mountain <laughs> <laughs> left in the room. So much fun mountain stuff this season. Yeah. So that was my number five. Do nice. you have any notes you want to add? Not really. That pretty much covers it. Cool. What's your number five? My number five is Varys, the happy maker. Okay. <laughs> I just thought how it was so funny. He's like me. He, you know, he he calls in that whore who participated with slitting that unsullied's throat and has yes. been working with the harpies. And he's like, I don't torture people. That you know, that gets answers, but a lot of the times they're the wrong answers. <laughs> yeah, because usually people are just saying whatever they want, whatever they, they think, think they want to hear to stop the torture. Exactly. So he's like, I I get the information I want by, uh, by a different means by, by making people happy, which I thought was hilarious. And immediately <laughs> he starts to like squeeze her by mentioning her son, you know, like first he's like, he's like relating to her, like building her up. Like, yeah, you've, you've done, you know, more than most people have done sacrificing your body for a cause, etc. But you help the sons of the harpy, for treasonous purposes, and we both know what the the penalty is for that. So he's like, he mentions her son, and she's like, oh, like all offended that he's threatening her son, and he's like, no, 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 you're misunderstanding me. Like, Children are blameless. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, I've I've never hurt them. <laughs> so he's implying that he has a history of hurting people, but but never children, yeah. which is great. That's true. <laughs> and so. uh she says, "If well, if I tell you, they'll kill me, or otherwise you'll kill me. Either way, I'm dead." And he's like, "From your perspective, that makes sense." I like his is the way he comments about perspective. Yes, it's like perception is reality. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense from your perspective. Although I have a different perspective, <laughs> and yeah. I think it's important you try to see things from my perspective, just as I will try to see them from yours. He's, I like that he knows their names. Oh yeah, he's he knows everything about this woman. So he's showing to her, like I know a lot about you. Like yeah, like I know stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So he's like, yeah, we both know the penalty is death, basically. I'm trying to to help your son by giving you an out. And you're in a terrible situation here. You've been busted. You're dead if you, like, don't talk to me. You're dead if you do talk to me. They'll kill you. So, you're like, obviously it's not a good place to be. But he's offering her, like, a real serious solution. Uh, yeah. Ticket out <laughs> with a ton of money. Get the hell out of town. Her, yeah, to keep her son healthy. And to just get out of there and start fresh. And it's, it's, it's a really good tactic to get, to get what he wants, really. Just super slick. Yeah, I mean, we, we see this before with Shay as well. That this is a tactic that he's used to using uh, to manipulate situations. That's that true. 
are not in his favor. Just in, in Shay's case, it wouldn't have made her happy because she actually seemingly wanted Tyrion. Yes, but he f- he felt like maybe he could use that tactic on her. Yep. So clearly he's used this tactic enough to know that it works on most people. It didn't happen to work on Shay, but here he is doing it again. Yeah, and it definitely works this time. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's like, doesn't her kid have a breathing problem or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all we know. Um, how will poor Dom get on without his mother? Yeah, so I mean, a bag of silver... That, I mean, that's a lot of money to her, probably. Yeah, so, yeah, it's so funny. She's like, if I tell you anything, they'll kill me. So either you kill me or they do. And he brings up that whole perspective thing again. Yes, from your perspective, this is a problem. (laughs) It's not my problem. It's your problem. (laughs) However, there's a third option. And he, like, kicks at a bag at at his feet, a big, like, bag full of silver yeah he's like we're gonna have to have one of these soldiers carry this down (laughs) yeah because i'm weak the boat sails at dawn but you need to decide now a new life for you and dom or we'll cut your fucking head off basically (laughs) yeah essentially those are your two choices he made her an offer she couldn't refuse (laughs) totally an offer she couldn't refuse yeah well motherfucking played varus that uh, wraps up my number five. Nice. Good number five. is <laughs> the happy maker. The happy maker. <laughs> yeah. How about your number four? So my number four is the Tower of Joy. Nice. That's my number three. So we will collab a little bit. Yes. I love this. Fuck yeah. When I first watched this, I really knew nothing about prophecy the prophecies or you know the speculation of john being a targaryen or any of that so this scene when i very first watched the series felt very um out of place in the fact that like why are we seeing this battle between like six people what's the (laughs) significance of this you know like i was a little confused Um, we hear the girls screaming in the tower and I, you know, obviously Ned says in the scene, like, where's my sister? So Mm -hmm. I knew it had something to do with his sister at that point, but like, I had no clue that that was Sir Arthur Dane. I had no clue that that it was, um, or like the significance of any of it. (laughs) Yeah. Like that. So knowing what I know now, the scene weighs so much more significantly as far as storyline goes for me when i had uh watched it i I had read the books at this point so i knew about arthur dane and knew about the tower of joy and everything like that i think that in between seasons i had sort of been spoiled by hearing that there would be a tower of joy scene in the upcoming season season six at the time oh got it And so that was sort of lingering on the back of my mind. And then when it cut to that shot of the tower in the distance with all the horses riding towards it, I just instantly knew Tower of Joy. And like, yeah, just like every time that pops on the screen, I just like stop breathing. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be epic. Yeah. And it is pretty epic here. So, you know, I love how fast those horses are going and um, they're approaching the tower and you know, Sir Arthur Dane kind of stands up and puts his helmet on. Yeah, and Bran's like, Sir Arthur Dane. And the three-eyed raven, raven says, Sword of the Morning. 
It's just such a fucking cool title, right? It is. And it's, I mean, from a first time viewer's perspective that has no history of it, it's kind of like, oh, okay, so he's a knight. They call him the Sword of the Morning, just like Jamie's called the Kingslayer. Yeah. Like it, it didn't pack any major meaning. And now that, that what he says right there is so significant. And then also that Howland Reed is there. And I love how Ned said he's like, we looked for you. Like, where were you? <laughs> I looked for you on the trident. <laughs> Your prince is dead. The Mad King is dead. <laughs> like, where yeah. the fuck were you? You're sitting here at the tower. It's so funny, too. Yeah, the the, uh, the other Kingsguard, Sir Gerald Hightower, I think he's like, your friend, the usurper, would be dead if we'd been there at the Trident. I'm yeah. like, damn, that's a bold statement, man. That that's is, a really bold statement. Robert was quite the warrior. Yeah, and it, considering that these two get cut down by just these, like, six guys or whatever, um, just having those two be at that battle, like, may or may not have made that big of a difference, you know? Yeah, and I was also, as a first-time viewer, still a little confused of who Rhaegar Targaryen was. Sure, sure. So, like... I knew that he was dead at this point because we get that information in this scene, but it didn't really click to me that he's Danny's brother, that, you know, the whole thing about the winter roses in Leona's lap, like that all kind of, and maybe I was just not paying too much attention and just didn't like look into it. It's a lot um, of information. Th that whole thing, like kind of like glossed over when I first watched the series. The second time around, not so much. I picked up more on the importance of it. The moment when all the laughter died, when we learn oh, about yeah. Rhaegar and Lyanna and everything. Yeah, exactly. So, and we get the um, the tagline, I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Yes, so cool. Mance said that to Stannis right before he died. John says that to Danny in season seven. Yeah, and they... Um, they put on their helmets and, you know, start to get ready for battle. And I love Sir Arthur Dane. He goes, and now it begins. And Ned goes, no, now it ends. <laughs> that was an awesome impression. <laughs> and it. I think this actor did such a great job portraying young Ned. Totally. I knew immediately that it was Ned Stark before Bran yes. was even like, that's my father, you know? Yeah. He does such a good job with the accent, with the look, with the furrowed brow. I mean, yeah, the body it. language. Like, so he did good. such a great job. I hope we get to see more of him this season. I bet you we will, because Bran's going to be on, you know, Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So we start getting the battles, and we I noticed instantly that Sir Arthur Dane fights with two swords, and that's not very common. So fucking cool. It, at least in this show. I mean, we see it with the wildlings, but not like Westerosi knight yeah, fashion. I've seen it in video games before, too, but never like with a medieval-style knight on screen. It's sick. Yeah, it was really badass, and the whole choreography of that whole scene was really well done the sweeping motions i love the way the camera kind of circled around what was going on yep so you had like a bird's eye kind of 360 view of the battle scenes and people are getting their freaking guts slashed on and their necks ripped open <laughs> and you know it's um, impaled on swords yeah so 
I'll, I'll kind of like let you take it from here because I know that this is your number three. And I, I, th I think this part's kind of better explained by you because you're so descriptive with battle scenes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but the, um, so much cool stuff to talk about here. Um, before the fight starts, there's a couple of things that are worth mentioning also as well. Arthur Dane walks over and shoves his sword in the dirt. And if you look closely, you can see a sunrise on the pommel. And oh, yeah, like nice. a golden sun with rays shooting out from it. And everybody knows that the sword of the morning, certain members of the house Dane, um, every once in a while will be worthy enough to wield the ancestral blade Dawn. Oh. And they're given the, the title sword of the morning. So Arthur Dane was famous for having wielded this this blade thousands of years old which was allegedly forged from the heart of a fallen star some people think that it, dawn may be the original light bringer for instance oh really a, interesting yeah pale white blade yeah it's really cool was this sword pale white not so much it's it's kind of hard to tell but uh it's it's a detail that may, they may have left out from the show got it uh so there <laughs> it's just really freaking cool that sword is like it's missing at this point in the story in the books and on the show so people have been speculating about like where it is and oh, okay. what will happen after the tower of joy battle ned stark apparently returned the blade to starfall the the castle of house dane and ashara dane upon learning of her brother's death threw herself from the tower and committed suicide <laughs> oh shit this is like yeah arthur dane is like the most beloved knight of the time period base you know one of them like as sure. as brand said as father said he was the greatest swordsman he's ever seen um he's highly respected he's jamie the kingslayer's idol before he was the kingslayer um he actually knighted jamie on the battlefield after the defeat of the kingswood brotherhood after he'd crossed swords with the smiling knight, the Joker. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that sword is the one that, that Jamie was knighted with. And it, it was so sharp that oh, even cool. just tapping his shoulder with it sliced through his, his, his uh, whatever oh, he had, the cloth he had on his shoulder and it cut him a little bit. Super, super sharp sword. It's not supposed to be Valyrian steel, but it's supposed to be like equally as powerful, basically. Interesting. Yeah. So you know how like... Um, Sometimes when, when something burns afterwards, the, it'll be like white. The, 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 the charcoal will be like white. Ashy. Yeah. Yeah. So people think that this may be the original Lightbringer sword and that it was burned to being white after by the time the, the, the long night was over, basically. Oh, wow. Or something like that. I love it. That's yeah. so cool. Interesting. So they basically divulge that. Rhaegar, the prince, wanted them at the Tower of Joy also, which is an interesting thing. There, he, Ned's like, why weren't you at, the, at the, the Trident to protect Rhaegar, basically? And they say he wanted us here. So immediately we know that something important is going on here. Typically, Kingsguard will only be tasked with protecting the royal family. So for them to not be with their prince... At least, I mean, Barristan was. Is really weird. Really weird. And you'd expect there to be a member of the royal family at this place if they're there, basically. 
as we know now, <laughs> there is a member of a couple members of the royal family here at this point, which would be Liana Targaryen uh, after the wedding. I'm guessing yes, and John yes. or Aegon Targaryen. So now, uh, now what we know with what we know, it makes sense. Sure, but uh, at the time, it was just a little clue for everybody. The prince wanted us here. And naturally, Ned's like, where's my sister? And it's just, this is, this is when he says, it, it's, I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. And it's just so sad that they can't just talk this out. I know. Obviously, Ned doesn't want Lyanna dead. No. So their, their interests are aligned as being Kingsguard and tasked to protect the royal family, as well as being a family member of this royal family member, <laughs> you know? So neither of them want the baby or Lyanna dead. The Kingsguard must be conflicted, though, because Robert, at, the, at this point, they called him the usurper. So it's become clear that Robert has usurped the line and taken the kingship for himself. And he is attempting to kill all of the Targaryens. Rhaegar's dead. The Mad King is dead. Elia has been murdered, I believe, at this point because King's Landing has already been sacked, etc. Aegon and Rhaenys, the two little babies, are dead. Ugh, so sad. Yeah. The Mad King's wife has escaped with Danny, uh, who, who's like going to be born at any minute, basically, or whatever. Maybe they're already gone. I can't remember. So basically, they think that Robert will want Lyanna, at least the baby dead, if not Lyanna as well, because he's in the process of snuffing out all the remaining Targaryens. Yeah. Essentially. Which is why it's essential for John to, or for Ned to keep John's secret. Right. So it's, it's too bad. They couldn't have talked this all out because instead of, you know, instead of Arthur Dane and Gerald Hightower dying, for instance, they could have all protected her together. Yeah. Protect them together. them together. They could have left in secret to, to whisk them away, to be with Daenerys and, you know, or something like that. But obviously they can't trust Ned because he has conflicted allegiances, you know, allegiance to his sister, but at the same time, allegiance to Robert and everything like that. It's too bad that Ned didn't just set the throne himself because then there would have been no conflict. Yeah, definitely. Sad how they can't just talk it all out, basically. Yes, yes. It is sad, but I also see why they can't, you know, they're on opposing sides right now. Yeah, it's fucked. Even if they have the same same agenda. Uh, there was speculation before this scene came out, at least that in the like book speculation, that maybe that's what did happen. That Ned and and Arthur faked his death, but because uh, they're apparently after this, Ned pulled down the Tower of Joy. He and Howland Reed basically dismantled the whole tower and used the stones to build cairns over the bodies of the fallen Kingsguard and people that died in this battle. Oh, crazy. I like that. Interestingly, yeah. So th so as far as we know, Arthur Dane is buried under that cairn, but we haven't seen his body, you know, type thing. Yeah. He's like Tupac. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, that's hilarious. Nice. So, uh, yeah, and then there's that great line, now it begins, no, now it ends. <laughs> Fucking great. <laughs> Monumentally epic moment. So insane. So crazy. So the battle happens, and Arthur pulls Dawn back out from the, the dirt. 
and starts swinging both of these swords around and all these guys are attacking from all angles and he's just like like this the he's moves, cutting them up yeah the moves are amazing and he's just blocking bl- blades from all different angles with all these different crazy sword motions swinging them all around and this is really impressive choreography for sure um it's it's pretty amazing and gerald hightower is you know impaling people with his blade and all this and eventually gets killed himself yeah is he the one that gets his neck split open yeah i, th- I think so yeah he gets stabbed through the throat i think and so he drops yeah. and then ned and the three remaining guys all kind of team up and surround Arthur Dane. And this is when we really get to see him unleash his sword (laughs) capabilities. And you know how a lot of times in movies with fight scenes like this, there'll be a group of guys surrounding one guy and one at a time, the guys will attack the person. Typically they'll fend off one attacker at a time, but here everybody attacks simultaneously. So he's got like four blades coming at him from all different angles and he's just swinging all those, (laughs) both of his swords around like nobody's business, deflecting everything and cutting them down one by one until finally it's just him and Ned Stark and Bran. And you can tell who's better. (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah. Like abundantly clear after Arthur Dane cuts down all these people whittling down the battle to just him and ned and bran is like what the hell is going on here and he's like he's better than my father you know having this moment of realization where where he discovers how outrageously outmatched ned was here the three-eyed raven confirms it far better but and bran is trying to figure out what happened he's like but it's like but my father beat him like he's clearly alive i've heard the story a thousand times he's like i know he beat him and this is this has me wondering, is this lie about because obviously Howland Reed comes from behind after Ned is disarmed. He's about to be killed and Howland Reed saves him. Stabs him in the back, too. Yeah, stabs him right through the back. Oh, man. And he drops Dawn, drops his swords and Ned picks up Dawn and uses this blade to kill the Sword of the Morning. Oh, it's fucked up. It's like kind Ugh. of the way Ned was killed by his own sword. Ice. Yeah, it's yeah. karma. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That's the first time that connection hit me just right now. That's crazy. Yeah. So he kills Arthur Dane with his own sword and then he ends up being killed himself by Ice, his own blade later on in life at the end of his life. So that's pretty crazy. And so I was wondering, is this lie that Ned defeated Arthur Dane? Is this lie responsible for Ned's reputation as a swordsman? It could possibly be. Because nobody seems to have like really seen him fight too much. Like, you know, like. Well, and he doesn't fight with Jamie. Like he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't fight in the tournament. He says I'm not going to fight in the tourney because I don't want people to see. What I can do. Maybe, maybe that's really saying like, because I can't really do as much as I can say. (laughs) Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, right? Although he does put up a good fight with uh, against Jamie in the street there. I think he's quite talented. Yeah. But it, it, that could have some merit. Like, he doesn't want to show too much because then it would be more obvious. Whereas if he has to defend himself, he'll defend himself. Yeah, like if he fought at a bunch of tourneys and got his ass whooped publicly a bunch of times you know people would be like there's no way that arthur dane was taken out by this guy and then there would be questions to be answered and things like that 
Yeah. Cairns to un- <laughs> to, to dismantle the <laughs> verify deaths and things. That's pretty funny. Yeah. No, I like that. I think there's some merit to that for sure. Yeah, it's possible. So, yeah, he dis- disarms Ned, who drops his sword, and then Arth- and then Howland Reed stabs him through the back, and he falls, and Ned takes him out, and all of a sudden, a woman screams from the tower. And I've heard people speculating that there also may be a baby crying inside of that scream as well. Oh, kind of really? Together. Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to tell. I'll have to listen to it again. Yeah, either her voice cracks or there's a baby in there wailing at, at the same time. Oh. Um, yeah, it's pretty neat. So it's possible that that's the, that's the first anybody has heard of John, basically. <laughs> oh, crazy. Aegon up there. So Bran's like, what the fuck was that? What's in that tower? And he should have realized. The Raymond's like, we gotta go. Yeah, that's enough for one day. And and all the viewers, all the book readers especially, are like, no, we no! need to see what's in the tower. We can't <laughs> wait. This is ridiculous. Uh, we have to wait until season seven episode seven to confirm this yeah. oh is, is that what it was season seven? Oh no no i'm sorry that's well that's when we find out 100 percent that john is a targaryen because we find that realization while they're having sex with each other oh man bran bran is talking to sam Oh right, they confirm it with their with their each other's mm-hmm. information. We fo- we get the reveal though, the transformation. We get the reveal from, that she had a baby. I think we, um, we get the reveal of the transformation where it shows it goes from little baby's face to John's face. It's during the King in the North scene when Lyanna Stark is uh, naming John oh, as the King in the yes. North. I think that's in that's the end of this right. season. So we find out that John was the baby at the end of this season. And then during season seven, we find out that he was actually a Targaryen and that they were married. Yes, I, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, how could I forget about that scene? That's such a goosebumpy scene. <laughs> yeah, totally. So great. Nice. So we'll get that in a couple episodes. Yeah. The initial reveal, but then yeah, the confirmation comes later. Yes, that's The cross-information analysis. So... Bran is just not having it. You know, we know he loves to stay inside these visions, whether he's warging into summer or whether he's touching the he's <laughs> touching the roots. Yeah, he's chasing the dragon constantly. And so <laughs> there's a big ass dragon up up in <laughs> in or baby dragon in that tower at this point. Oh man, that was a nice metaphor that worked out perfectly. <laughs> so so Ned starts running over to the tower, and the three eyed raven's like, "We gotta get out of here. That's enough." And Bran's like, no, I have to see where he's going. And he he chases after Ned and yells, father. Father. Oh, my God. It's such an epic moment. And it like echoes like, father, father, father. And Ned stops on the stairs and turns back around to look. Do you think he hears him? Do you think he heard him? I think he did. I think that he heard him. I do, too. It's almost like Bran has this some kind of like transcendent ability to communicate with people throughout time through the werewoods. It's like these accidental blunderings that he's, that he's accomplished in doing so have had crazy repercussions. Like he sort of accidentally taps into Hodor's mind. Yeah. And that, that Hodor's Hodor. 
Um, and then Theon may hear him whispering through the leaves at Winterfell in the books also. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, it's pretty, every time, there's people who, every time you hear leaves rustling in, in the books. It's Bran. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Peeping think, through the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, um, and then here, it's it's entirely possible that he came really close to fucking up Ned here and preventing his own existence from ever happening. <laughs> like, yeah. if, if he had, like, tapped into Ned the way that he tapped into Hodor accidentally, or the way that he does oh, coming up. You know, imagine that. He may have just prevented his own existence. Dun, dun, dun. That's a mind fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Ned stops and turns. He had to have heard something, and it's... Leaves rustling. Yeah, he doesn't have any. <laughs> he doesn't have any kids at this point. Like he hasn't returned no. with John yet, so he doesn't know that Rob's been born. For instance, unless he just got word that he's been born. But like, it's not like somebody would say, "Father," you know. And Ned yeah, Stark would turn. He doesn't have like, like a teenage child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. He, he seems like he heard something, and whatever it was, was powerful enough to make him stop when he's running to find Liana. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's just took out King Koopa Troopa. Bowser, and he's just about to get the princess in the tower, basically. Yeah. Like Mario Brothers style. And yes. he stops on the stairway to take a glance around the scene. Obviously, he heard something. Yeah, I think he heard him. Yeah. And then, boom, it, we the, the vision ends, and we're like, no, all of us collectively. We need to see what's in there. We know John's in there. We know. what, And what's his real name? We're wondering. Yeah. Oh man, it's just such a great scene. And he's like, what the hell again? Why did you take me away? Like we need, we need to go back there. Something is important is happening. He can tell. Yeah, for and, sure. And he's like, he heard me. My father heard me. And the three eyed Raven's like, maybe, maybe he heard the wind. The, um, the leaves rustling. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and he goes on to say the past is already written. The ink is dry. And I'm wondering, is it? Obviously not, because he ends up tapping Hodor coming up in a couple episodes. That's true. But the Three-Eyed Raven seems to be convinced that this isn't possible, basically. He's telling him that you can't interact with these people through these visions. It led everything but he, already... he, I mean, he interacts with the Night King. The Night King touches Bran. That's live time, though. Oh. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's not in the past or the future. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. seem to be like meeting like uh, simultaneously. Uh, yeah. Got it. That whereas, makes more sense. Whereas like Thread Raven is saying that these are more like memory banks that we're just sort of looking through. But it's just a it's just like information on a cartridge. Basically, it's not like. Apparently not, though. It seems like Bran is actually having an effect on uh, on these events, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Part of, yeah, that whole, like, time, it's, it's a giant mind fuck as we get into the whole Hodor loop and all this crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. We, we got in oh. it with our roundtable, I think, for the Red Wedding episode. Oh, right. And we were, like, going around in circles. With it. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. So funny. So nice. Bran's like, I, he's just too curious. He needs to go back in there. And the three-eyed Raven warns him again about the dangers of being in too long and never returning. And I'm wondering if, because the three-eyed Raven seems a pretty lucid. You know what I mean? Like he seems like pretty with it and regular. Like coherent. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in a few episodes, 
brand turns into sort of like robot brand, computer brand, you know, where it's just, I think because that he was overloaded. Yeah. Because he had to learn it all so fast and not the through the enough time that the the three eyed raven wanted him to, which is why he kind of um gives Bran these like bursts of information. Right. When the when the three eyed raven realizes he's gonna die, he basically like just sends Bran into like turbo upload mode. Yeah. And I totally. think it kind of left him off. Like, yeah, like because he is... saw so much at once. Yeah, exactly. That his brain kind of misfires <laughs> now. It, it's like uh, it's like the 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 computer brand style of demeanor is like a side effect of being in too long. Like he's warning about here or something. Yeah, it's almost like um, perhaps when you're resurrected. We'll talk about this in a little bit more. But Halberic says that every time he comes back, it's like he's a little bit less. There's a piece of him gone. It seems like the same type of thing when you go into these into the werewood memories and come back like maybe you're losing a little bit of yourself every time and that's why it's dangerous to stay in there too long yeah definitely but then again the three-eyed raven has apparently been sitting there under the tree for a thousand years as he tells us in this episode so that shoots to shit any theories about the three-eyed raven being blood blood raven on the show for instance um oh interesting okay yeah, and so he, the Three-Eyed Raven continues continues and tells Bran, like, even though I've been here a thousand years, like, you're not going to stay here. You're going to leave. And Bran's like, why were you here that, that long then? And he says, I was waiting for you. So Bran must be fucking important. <laughs> you know, if, if this dude's been waiting I, a thousand years for him to arrive, like, he's been prophesized. Yeah. Does that mean that Bran is the prince that was promised? Oh. I mean, like... Mm thousand years that's a long time that is a long time maybe yeah. bran is going to play a part in bringing about the prince or princess who was promised yeah maybe i don't think he is though yeah yeah i doubt I, I doubt it too <laughs> so um the three-eyed raven's like listen i know you're frustrated i don't blame you but you're not going to be here forever you're going to leave but before you leave you need to learn bran's like learn what <laughs> Everything. Everything. So ominous. <laughs> and with <laughs> access to the memory banks of Planetos, basically through the Werewood n- uh, network, it's almost like Brand theoretically could learn everything. Yeah, definitely. It's fucking wild, man. Really cool. That's why I think Brand gets a little overloaded when the Three Eyed Raven sends him into his like warging state and then gets killed. So now he's not there to regulate it. Yep. So he's just getting like flooded. He's like getting waterboarded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, that's it for my number three. Okay. And your number four. So we four. need to do your number four. All right. My number four is the miracle at the wall. Okay. Is this his resurrection? Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is my number one. It had to be my number one. Yeah, right. Like we see his butt. <laughs> yeah, on. so I just finished with my number three. How about you take this and uh, just roll with that and I'll throw it, you know, I'll contribute where necessary. Sure, sure. Um, so my number one goes down through the butt scene into <laughs> John meeting up with his buds again cool. out in the courtyard. I will say he is looking quite fit. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
so Davos, we we pan in on Davos and he's staring at John like, what are you serious? Like he's alive. He His eyes are open. Out. And I think there's a tinge of is he a White Walker? Yeah. <laughs> or is he Jon Snow? Right. Like, is this a good resurrection or an evil resurrection? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is this the Bible or is this Resident Evil? You know, which which direction <laughs> is this story taking? Yeah. I mean, I've seen Melisandre birth a demon. So what is this thing <laughs> arising here? Hilarious. <laughs> So we get, you know, Jon Snow, he slowly sits up at the table and the camera pans down and we get to see his cute little apple butt and he's <laughs> breathing the apple bottom jeans. <laughs> with the fur. With the John is like sucking in as much oxygen as he can. And he turns his head at Davos. And I love we get Ghost here. Ghost is standing behind Davos, like yeah. panting. Whimpering um, a and his bit. eyes are glowing. Oh, I love it. And John is freaked so, out too. So he's like looking at Davos. He's trying to like process what's going on. And I think maybe his memory starts kicking back in because he starts like looking down and he sees his wounds and Ugh. he's like, oh my God, like yeah totally i have like open six open like stab wounds on my body so he and he freaks kind of like freaks out and like falls off the table and rushes towards davos and davos grabs him and he's like easy easy like easy and just like kind of like ushers him back catches him (laughs) yeah and then melisandre comes in yeah it sort of echoed uh cersei arriving at the red keep and being sort of caught by Kyburn and having the cloak wrapped around her same type of thing here. John in his lowest moment re- returning from dead, stumbling over to Davos who <laughs> catches him and yeah. <laughs> throws the cloak around him, tells him it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be all right. Um, and so Malisandra comes in and she is like kind of looks bewildered. Like, looks like she's a ghost. You could say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she, I think she's um, very surprised and bewildered and astonished and thankful, thankful. And I think she gets this rush of uh, like juice back into her right. reason for being there because Maybe it wasn't all a lie. Yeah, she kind of like rushes over to him and Davos is like, dude, what do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> And John's like, oh my God, they fucking stabbed me. Ollie fucking stabbed me in the heart. (laughs) Ollie. (laughs) (laughs) Ollie. I shouldn't be here. That was an intense line. No, I love the way he says it too, because he kind of like catches his breath at the very end. Like it's almost like a sob. Like he is just beyond comprehension at this point. Yeah. It's amazing. And he goes, the lady brought you back. Oh my God. And Malisandre kind of rushed up to him and she's kneels. This is what I was kind of talking about her, like getting um, kind of jazzed up about it. She's like, after you died, like, what did you see? What, <laughs> like, where did you go? I'm, I want to know everything. And John says nothing. There was nothing at all. So fucking ominous. Oh, <laughs> so fucking ominous 
And I thought maybe that's a little bit of a foreshadow of how this uh, whole story is going to end. Yeah. It's just going to be... It's just going to be nothing. Nothing. <laughs> the, the dragons <laughs> and the white walkers are like an un- unstoppable object meeting an immovable... Yeah, ice and, and fire <laughs> converging into one and it just, it just erupts boom, the like, whole planet. Yeah, it creates a black hole. Half of all matter shoots out into space and half collapses into itself. Oh, warping space and time. Yes, it creates a giant black hole. Yeah, and I loved that line. I I think you could kind of read into it both ways. Like, there's nothing beyond death, or because John was not meant to die. He never like he was meant to come back. He never like went. If you believe in afterlife stuff, like to the afterlife, he never reached the nightlands. He was he was basically like in limbo or purgatory. He was just kind of floating around in another dimension or another realm. The netherworld. Yes. (laughs) Oh man, that's intense. Uh, Yeah. And so Melisandre starts getting all weird on him. She's like, "Oh my gosh, (laughs) the Lord let you come back. Stannis was not the prince. You have to be. Oh my God, I'm gonna freak out." And Davos was like. Girl, get yourself together. Can yeah, we have a moment? Give like, us a minute with this crap, Mel. <laughs> I don't need to hear this bullshit again. Like, you are so... It's too soon, man. Like, you're so addicted to this cause. And, <laughs> like, I just got done listening to you tell me that Stannis was the prince that was promised, and he's dead. His whole family's dead. Yeah. So, I'm not going to listen to this crap. Plus, it, John doesn't need to be thrust into this, you know, pressure. <laughs> you know, he just no, needs to be No, not right now. Like, he's life. trying to, pro- like, imagine trying to process your own death. Yeah. Like, you're not meant to process that. <laughs> right. And he kind of has to process it. Like, he remembers that they stabbed him they and killed him. him. They stabbed. <laughs> they stabbed me. <laughs> they stabbed me. <laughs> and so i love davos sums it up so well as he normally (laughs) does you were dead and now you're not that's completely fucking mad seems to me i can only imagine how it seems to you (laughs) that's completely fucking mad and john's like fuck man i was doing what i thought was best for everybody and they freaking killed me for it like my own brothers killed me Uh, for doing this what a heartbreaking realization too where he's just like you know i tried to follow my heart and help people and this is the thanks that i get what's the point and this is kind of where like the processing of his own death comes in because john's like i I am back like i don't understand and davos is like dude i don't know either why am i back I don't think we'll ever know. It, what does it matter? I guess it just doesn't matter. You just have to keep going and clean up as much as, of the shit as you can. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool sentiment. Like, who? Why? Like, maybe you don't even worry about it. Like, it doesn't matter. What does it matter? You're here. Make the best of it. Great motivational speaker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and John's like, I thought I was doing that, and I failed. I got killed for it. Like, how? How can I like move on from that? Right. And Davos is like, good. Now go fail again. Yes, <laughs> such a great attitude. It made me it reminds me of Wayne Gretzky. You know, you miss one hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yes, or how I they love say, that. what do you do when you fall off the horse? Get back on. <laughs> fool me once. You fool me. Tw- you can't get fooled again. <laughs> George Bush. 
can't get fooled uh. again. Oh, man. Davos. Davos is the man. Jon Snow's alive again. And I, I remember watching this for the first time. I was like, oh, my God. Finally, it's been three episodes into this season. And finally, Jon's alive. And I love that the show does that because everybody expects for him to come back the season premiere. Everybody yeah, expected that. Totally. And then he didn't come back the season premiere. And then episode two rolls around and he doesn't and come back in episode fails. two either. And you're kind of yeah. like, well, he, he kind of does just the last couple frames. At the though. last second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we're left with a crazy cliffhanger. Like, what is he? Right. Because, I mean, he obviously has brown eyes when he opens them. So, you know, kind of instantly he's not a White Walker. Mm -hmm. But he also is under some type of weird magic. And I know that there's speculation out there that he's not really alive. Like, he's just kind of animated. Yeah, that he's like a, a fire white. And I could be wrong. I could have read this somewhere and I don't remember the source. So, I could be... But isn't, don't his wounds, like, not heal? Um, his stab wounds? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, Beric's wounds look like they've healed. Yeah. Because I know, like, in season seven, they look pretty raw still, but they could just be really bad fresh scars, too. Danny loves that shit. Yeah, she's like, hoo-hoo. <laughs> she's like, I can feel your heart, you know? Literally. <laughs> yeah, her last husband was killed by a little cut to the chest, but Jon Snow, five or six full stab wounds to the chest, and he's still going strong. That's the type of man Danny needs in her life. She likes the bad boys. Yeah, so then we cut down to Castle Black in the courtyard, and... The Night's Watch gathers to witness a miracle. Yeah, and you can tell Jon is very weak. And you see the, you know, the anxiousness across everybody's faces and John appears and everyone's just kind of silent. And oh, my God, he takes Davos's hand to walk down the stairs like and it just kind of shows that he's weak. And, and hey, that's still, like Davos acting as his hand. Also, oh, you know? <laughs> there you go. His half hand. because <laughs> He has missing fingers. <laughs> Corin. That's funny. These two significant characters that John has dealt with, each having half a hand basically i could see him actually doing that and saying i name you my half hand <laughs> it's like a king in the north tradition to have a half hand now <laughs> um you know so they get down and he's like walking through a sea of people and they kind of part yeah and everybody's know, to make just way for astonished him. yeah and then all of a sudden we see torment <laughs> i yeah. love torment He's so awesome. They think you're and some kind of god. The man who returned from the dead. I'm, I'm not, not a, a god. god. <laughs> what a strange thing to have to say. You know, to, I know. Like, think you're a god. I did just return from the dead. <laughs> but I'm not a god. <laughs> and I love Tormund. He gets all close. And he's like, I saw your pecker. Yeah, it's like, I know you're not a god. I saw your pecker. <laughs> what kind of god would have a pecker that small? <laughs> and I love that John laughs at that. He <laughs> yeah. kind of smiles and um, yeah. Tormund gives him this big bear hug and you can tell that it really hurts John. He like <laughs> winces. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then over the Tormund's shoulder, he's, he gets a glimpse of good old Ed, Dolorous Ed. Oh, man. 
So, so ominous. Your eyes are still brown. Is that still you in there? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Don't burn my body just yet. <laughs> Ed laughs. He's like, that's funny. You sure that's still you in there? <laughs> <laughs> Which is ominous because like, it's like, yeah, we don't know like how much of John is still left in there, but also it's like, he's making a joke. Like Jon Snow wasn't funny. Like you didn't make jokes and stuff. Are you sure that's you? <laughs> like, yeah. You're acting funny all of a sudden. I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Yeah. This just made me think though about that whole thing. Like Beric says that every time you come back, you're a little bit less. Yeah. And so Dolores adds like, is that you in there? And it's, it's just, it's sad because it's, you know, it's, it seems to be John, but it's probably a little bit less of John. And I'm just wondering mm-hmm. what little bit of John is gone. You know, is it a memory yeah. that's gone or is it a piece of his personality or what is it? Makes you wonder. Yeah. Well, that was, so wait, that was my number one and your number four. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you've already done your number three. So are we on my number three? Uh, yes, I believe so. Wow, this episode is like math class. Is there anything else you want to add before we move on? Uh, not really. Yeah, I think uh, (laughs) we covered that scene pretty much entirely. It's a good one. Yeah, it's just so legendary, and I thought that they did a pretty good job with it. It's, like, they did their best trying to come up with dialogue, too, because, like, what do you say when somebody comes back from the dead, and then how how do you translate that onto screen? Yeah, and I remember watching the HBO, like, after the throne, and they talked about the first scene when Davos and John were looking at, like, first looking at each other. Right. There was a lot more dialogue in that scene when initially shot, and when they watched it back, they felt that it was just not relatable because they just thought it would be more powerful with very little words because it reflected the astonishment so they left it with just a couple lines like when davos is you know like easy 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 right right. um you know and john john had a lot more dialogue and they left it out because they wanted kit harrington to process what it would feel like to come back from the dead so cool And, and to process something like that you're probably not talking to somebody you know you're like oh hey davos what's up what did i miss <laughs> yeah 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 he's just more introspective and just trying to come to grips with what's going on and yeah that sort of sparsity of the dialogue increases the impact of the moment i would say yeah it's just so cool it's great it was great acting by both of them too yeah and I like how like the the relationship that's starting to develop between Davos and John. Definitely. Like Davos and they've always sort of had contact with each other since Stannis arrived at the wall where Davos is telling him Stannis likes you and, st- and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, obviously Davos likes him too. Uh, yeah. You know, working, working Melisandre to resurrect him and everything like that. But he's the first one that's there when John comes back to life and he remains close by his side in the future as things continue to under like unfold. So I just like how John comes to trust Davos and recognize his value, um, reciprocating the way that Davos sees John as being valuable and moral and everything like that. Too, it's just a really good pairing, I think. Very much so, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Nice. All right. Yeah. What's your What do you got for your number three? So my number three is John's Revenge. <laughs> so oh, perfect timing. Oh, <laughs> nice. 
and John is sitting by the fireplace. He's contemplating what he needs to do. And um, Ed knocks on the door and he goes, it's time. And we, we all know that John does not like these situations. He feels it's a duty yeah. and he knows he has to do it. And he's moping and stewing. Yeah, he needs to be the one that swings a sword. But we know in the past that he has hesitated. He did lop off um, Jano Slint's head. Oh, and that's man. the first time we've watched John execute someone. And even in this scene, he struggles to execute them. Right. You can see it. It's not something that the Starks tend to enjoy doing. Although he's a Targaryen and half the Targaryens tend to like doing this. Yeah, I mean, uh, but he is half stark too you know it's so he might he may not have my name but you have my blood <laughs> yeah he's he's looking at his vest that he was wearing too when he got stabbed when dolorous ed comes in oh yeah i have that in my notes too a little bullet point he yeah. was holding his vest he's obviously like stewing on the whole event and like reminding yeah, he's himself. trying to process his own death like how do you do that yeah and also like you were saying how he's, he's hesitant to do this like he loves ollie you know he doesn't want to have to kill ollie he doesn't have to kill any of these guys he has to remind himself that, that these they, they have it coming him. basically yeah he killed him not like attempted to he actually did it <laughs> yeah exactly and he actually echoes that sentiment of not wanting to kill Ollie to Sansa. He goes, I killed a boy younger than Bran. Like, that yeah, puts it into true. perspective. You know, like, that's horrible. Yeah. I mean, he's. Shitty position. Ollie deserves be. it because he's a murderer. They should have never taken him in at the Night's Watch. They should have sent him down to some other, like, some village or something. Hamlet. Some other Hamlet. Yeah. Exactly. It's not a place I for agree. a boy up there. No, it's not. So we see Malisandra creeping up in the balcony. Yeah, we get to see everybody's reactions. Like uh, they all gather around for this event. Yeah. So Bowen Marsh, Othel Yorwick, Alistair Thorne, and Ollie are all standing on these, you know, this board with their yep. hands tied behind their back with nooses around their neck and Jon Snow looks up at them and he's like, got you now. Motherfuckers. <laughs> Payback's a bitch. If you have any last words, now is the time. <laughs> yeah, and this guy... <laughs> and Bowen Marge, dude, he shouldn't be alive. It's not right. <laughs> <laughs> he echoes John's first sentiment, right? I shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of true. He says it's not right. It's not right. And John's like, neither was killing me. Yeah. And I love that. It's wrong. So they all kind of go down the, uh, the list. Awful Yorwick wants John to lie to his mom about getting killed by some wildlings. I don't know if he, uh, if he's technically lying. He, t he says, tell her I died fighting the wildlings. I think that he, in his mind, he legitimately thinks that that's what he was doing. Oh, by killing John, yeah. John Snow, the wildling lover who let the wildlings through the border, basically. That makes sense. He legitimately yeah. thinks that this was like, that's what he was doing, fighting the wildlings in the tradition of the Night's Watch. Crazy. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, from John's perspective or something like that, all he did was commit treason. I think that in his mind, he really buys it, you know? Yeah. That makes more sense for sure. So I was like, why would he? Lie to your mom. <laughs> yeah. It's like, tell her I died doing the right thing. Don't lie to your mom. <laughs> yeah, totally. Alistair was like, 
I would do it all over again. Yep. Because yeah. he's so just stuck in his ways and we know how he feels about John. And it, he's think like the same thing. He thinks he was fighting the wildlings, like doing the right thing. He, he, like he says, if I, if I had to do it all over, knowing where I'd end up, I'd pray I'd make the right choice again. And so he thinks it was the right choice. Yeah. Like he really thought that mm-hmm. John yeah. was screwing over the Night's Watch and the kingdoms by letting in the wildlings, but it's never been about the wildlings, you know? I mean, obviously they've become a point of contention, but it's about life and death. Yeah. It's about the white walkers. That's why the wall exists, not the wildlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Alistair's sentiment here. He goes, I fought, I lost, now I rest. Yeah. Great line. It's a great line. And then John looks over at Ollie and Ollie's just giving him the... The stink eye. The He's stink just looking eye. at him like, I would bite your throat out right now if I could. What did you call him full? A bag full of assholes? Crushed up assholes? <laughs> A bag full of mashed up assholes? <laughs> the second they showed his face, I was like, oh, there's the bag of crushed up assholes. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so John kind of turns his back to them and he takes out Longclaw and ponders for a minute. And you, there's, there was like a half a second where he hesitates. And he always does this before he goes to kill somebody. Uh-huh. It's like he has to get the momentum and convince himself to do it. He did it with Egret. He did it with Janos. Yeah, so... Yeah, really tense moment before he cuts the really rope. Really tense, and he cuts the rope, and we see them fall. We see yeah. them slide off and Amazing start. Amazing camera angle that's like looking upwards from the ground, and the camera yes. kind of rocks, like it like jolts as the, the pieces of wood and everything fall down and like yes. affect its footing. It's, it's a pretty great shot. It's so good. And Melisandre's watching, and Tormund's watching, and all these people are watching all this happen. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, they're flailing, they're dying, and <laughs> it's kind of hard to watch. And John turns back around to watch them die, too. And he looks yeah. mad when he does it. Like, he cuts the rope, and he's like, oh, you know, like, doing his mopey, pouty thing. And then he turns around, and anger flashes across his face, and he looks up at them as they, as they die. Yeah. And there's a lot probably going through his mind right now. You know, like... Totally. How do I, how can I lead this group when half of them think I'm a traitor? And, you know, I think maybe the sen- sentiment changed a little bit. Like, while a lot of the Night's Watchmen may have not agreed with John, they probably all didn't think that he was go- should be killed for it. Right. So I think he has more people on his side than maybe he feels at this moment. I hope so. And I, I love what's coming up. And Dolores Ed says, we should burn the bodies. And John takes off his cape. You should. He's like, you should take, you should burn the bodies. And oh my God, this is way out of left field. I did not see this coming. Yeah. I, I didn't think about John not being the Lord Commander either. Right. And he, he lays his cloak on across his forearms and hands it over to Ed. What do you want me to do with this? Wear it, burn it, whatever you want. You, you have, have Castle, Castle Black. Black. 
my watch has ended. Oh, he's just sort of storms off. Yeah. It's so true, though, because they take their oaths till death and he died. So he's technically released from his oath. Oh, yeah. So now he can become king in the north. <laughs> yeah, true. And there's a couple ways of looking at the Night's Watch Oath where it's like more literal, which is the way that Sam interprets it as well. Like, they say you can't take a wife, but I'll just have sex with my wildling woman every day and I won't marry her. So, (laughs) you know, know, very literally or there's like metaphorically where whereas it literally says like I, you know, until my death. Metaphorically, it may mean, you know, like forever, (laughs) right, that I'm just going to be part of this order forever. Uh, yeah. So it could be look at, looked at as breaking an oath from one perspective, as I think uh, Lady Alicia of House Stout points out in the feedback coming up. Nice. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. You know, is he breaking the oath? Is he not? Is Sam breaking the oath? Is he not? You know, just perspectives, as as various would say. Yes. A little bit of room for interpretation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that is my number. Three. Nice. Such an epic scene. Yeah. Really great. So let's see. What is your number two? Why don't we do your number two first? All right. <laughs> My number two is Kyburn's Candy Corner. Oh, God. And that's kind of referencing another podcast. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe Tyrion's Landing or maybe Game of Owns where they call uh, <laughs> they refer to this as Kyburn's Candy Corner with three Qs, like Kyburn with a Q, oh, candy is oh. a Q, and corner <laughs> <Yeah>. with a Q. <laughs> nice. Q cubed. That's cool. I thought it was really funny. So yeah, we we it cuts to like the some of the lower chambers in the red keep. And Kyburn is hanging out with a group of little kids. <laughs> and it turns out that they are Various's spies. And he's talking with them and this one little kid, and he seems to really care about these kids. He's like, Your eye looks much better, Arthur. How about your mother's jaw? And the little kid's like, better. And your father? The little kid's like, no one's seen him. And Kyburn's like, and no one will. (laughs) That worked out rather nicely. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, shit. What? Sounds like the father was like abusing them or something like that. And he's been handled. Yep, I think so. So the little kid asks, another little kid asks, will Lord Varys ever come back? And Kyburn's like, I don't think so. Do you miss him? And what a revelation at this moment, like that we learn uh, that his little birds, are, at least in part, are little kids. They're children. Yeah. yeah. And the, the kid, the kid's like, he was nice. He called us his little birds. He gave us sweets. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so crazy. Yeah. This and is kind of revelation. Yeah, totally. Like the inner workings of Varys's system. It's pretty cool see how he operated and how he was able to gather all the intelligence that he has and everything like that. So Kyburn's like, Oh, it's funny. You should mention sweets. Guess what I happened to find today. Candy, Candy plums. plums <laughs> yeah. And so he, he looks over at these boxes and, and all the kids are like, Oh, they all like cr- crowd around and, grab a box of candy like plums swiping the boxes from yeah, each other it's so great. mine <laughs> and Kyburn has, has a, such a funny line man he's so creepy but at the same time he's like it, it, like conceptually this is also creepy but it's really like not that creepy 
Like he's no, he's just like, giving him candy. Yeah, like he's like and really not like in a pedophilic nice way. Like yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. being nice to them. Yeah, as creepy as like you know the 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 <laughs> as creepy as a guy as Kyburn is. The concept of it is creepy. Yeah. But he's not being creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Kyburn's <laughs> a creepy guy to begin with, and everybody knows about like the strangers with candy type of thing. So like, exactly, like that. the concept is creepy. Yeah, <laughs> like it immediately gives you like that creepy vibe. But it's just so funny because he's so good with the little kids, and everybody loves him. And there's nothing like nefarious going on. He's just no, helping them no. out, giving them treats and doing favors for their families, basically. And all he wants is whispers. Like, what's wrong with that? You know, I just want secrets. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. So secrets uh, don't make friends, but friends make secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, he he I like the line, too, is like, all I need in return are whispers. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Just a great way of delivering that little line. Um, and while it's the creepiest shit ever, it's also like we were saying, you know, like not really that creepy. Well, Varys did it too. Yeah. I mean, is it creepy when Varys does it? I, I guess not because as we learn also, he's, he's like, I never have hurt kids. Like that's you no, know, like yeah. they, they actually seem to care about these kids and are like helping them legitimately. So I don't know. It seems like a pretty good arrangement for the kids. Yeah, they get to, you know, kill their abusive fathers and get candied plums from Dorn. Sounds like a good situation to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. So lucky little kids have uh, have some powerful people, you know, backing them, which is kind of cool. So at this moment, the door opens and Frank and Mountain enters. And they all stop eating their plums. And everybody's and like, like uh. the jaws drop, the eyes look up. And... <laughs> And uh, Kyburn's like, no need to be afraid. This is Sir Gregor. He's friends <laughs> with all my friends. <laughs> I thought that was just a hilarious line. I control him because I am a necromancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay on my good side and you'll never have a problem with Sir Gregor. <laughs> he won't bash your head into a wall. <laughs> Unless I say so. He won't even ask how much if I say so. <laughs> Oh man, I thought that was hilarious when Lady Lisa was on and we came up with the house words for Bronze House. Yeah, how much? That was awesome. Fucking how great. much? It's perfect. Definitely need that T-shirt. <laughs> so uh, the kids are staring at Gregor, and he's like, "Run along, little birds. You like go, you <laughs> can leave." And they all run out, and uh, Cersei's like, "Oh, Varys's little birds," and Kyburn's like, "Your little birds now, Your Grace." Boom! I bought them with candied plums. Yeah, and all that power that Varys used to have, like, sort of inherited by Cersei at this point. Yeah. Pretty amazing. And Jamie is, like, looking at Gregor, like, <laughs> this is unbelievable. What did you do to him exactly? <laughs> I haven't I haven't been able to get a clear answer. And it, it's funny that that line, it's kind of like meta commentary, because for years... Book readers have been speculating what the hell happened to Sir Gregor. Does he have yeah. a head? Is he undead? Is he, you know, like a zombie? What the hell is going on? So it was like a little bit of meta commentary where Jamie is speaking for the audience, kind of. And Kyburn's response is creepy as hell. Like, what have you done to him? And he's like, oh, a number of things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I used a dwarf's head here and a little bit there. Yeah. Oh man, a little necromancy here. So funny. And Jamie's just kind of taunting him. He's, does he understand what we're saying? I mean, 
to the extent that he ever understood complete sentences in the first place. And Greg R. <laughs> his head like turns quickly towards Jamie and Jamie. Ugh. And Jamie's like, <laughs> gets all freaked out. Hilarious. Sorry. Gotta love Frank and Gregor, man. Such a great character. Yeah. Especially with this new, like the, this latest actor that's been playing uh, the mountain. They couldn't have. Thor. Yeah. Half dog. Bjornsson. Freaking amazing. So uh, Kyburn's like, yeah, he understands well enough. And he's like, Jamie's like, well, tell him to fucking go take out the High Sparrow then. And Cersei reveals her play here that mm-hmm. she's planning on, on having Sir Gregor only fight one person because she wants a trial by combat. Yeah. Taking after, like copying Tyrion's MO, basically. <laughs> you know, every time he's like, I demand a trial by combat. <laughs> So she's doing that. And just the fact that she says that she wants a trial by combat, we know that it's probably not going to happen. It's like just mentioning it jinxes it basically. And the, the high sparrow gets Tom into outlaw trial by combat um, pretty soon. So she's unable to demand a trial by combat and it neutralizes her plan. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the high sparrow probably saw it from a mile away, worked little Tom in to get him to do it. Yeah, I I have to agree. Yeah. So Cersei's like, send your little birds everywhere. I want to know, like, who's planning to act against us? Like, who's benefiting from our losses? Anybody talking shit about the naked queen who walked the streets covered in poo? You know, I want to... <laughs> covered in poo. Poo boobs. <laughs> oh, poo boobs. Ew. I don't want to see these boobs. <laughs> I don't see these boobs. <laughs> These boobs are too wrapped up in character development. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So great. So uh, she's like, I want to know who's talking about me and where they are. And that pretty much wraps up. Burn their houses to the ground. Yeah. Burn them all to the ground. Burn them all. Any, any scene with Gregor in season six or seven is just, oh, just so great. Yeah, it's true. Right, like it doesn't get much cooler than the mountain, than the undead mountain, Franken Mountain. So yeah, that's it for my number two. Anything you want to add to that scene? Can Kyburn's no. candy corner? <laughs> Kyburn's creepy candy corner. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it for me. All right. So how about your number two? My number two is Vias Dothrak. Aha. And the Dosh Kaleen. Nice. So we're strolling down memory lane with Danny. She's reminiscing about her walks through the the horse gates, except this time she's still on foot, I noted. So they find out that she's the widow of a call and they still have her walking with this, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe because she... um, Didn't go to the Dodge Colleen. Yeah, dishonored the process by not going I don't know. Maybe. I just thought it was a little interesting, like, they could at least give her Nobody a horse. Nobody will touch or... you, but we're gonna make you walk, bitch. Yeah! Yeah, it's like, they were so about tradition, like, oh, sorry, we're not gonna touch you, I'm gonna set you, you know, unbind you here, but right. you're still gonna get walked, you know, or you're still gonna have to walk, and you're gonna get nudged by these people, and you know, be told to move your ass. <laughs> hey, great Khaleesi, move her ass! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Colin Morrow, he goes, welcome home, Khaleesi. Home, last episode. Yeah, and they 
walk her into the Dosh Kaleen, which I didn't realize until this scene that the Dosh Kaleen is where Danny did eat that stallion heart. Right. Yeah, cool um, callback to that in this scene, too. Yeah, so I love how this show does, like, little nuances that call back to... You know, that was not a, by no means an insignificant scene when yeah, she was eating the heart. Not. But, it, like, for the propul the propulsion of her story, it's insignificant from a, you know, her baby died. And so that was kind of the end of that whole thing. Yeah, it was like a red but herring. To, to be, um, you know, back there and be reminded as an audience member that. Danny did spend a lot of time here. She had a lot of important stuff happen to her here. And we get that same actress as well, who's like, I remember when you ate the horse heart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. Yeah. And so just a side note, they made that, that horse heart out of gummy bears. <laughs> like gusher gummy bears. It's gnarly. So she was like eating a big gummy bear. <laughs> with syrup dripping down her oh, hands and face. Hilarious. Yeah, so the Dothraki ladies tells the Blood Riders to get lost. And the let's call her the the matron of the Dosh Kleen. Okay. The matron nods to the younger women and they kind of go over to Danny and just start ripping her clothes off. And Danny's yeah. like, wait, but uh what uh and then she just stands up and looks super annoyed and she's just standing there naked. And I just loved her the look on her face. She's just like, fucking whatever. <laughs> okay. And then the the young girl who we we get to know more in upcoming episodes, the young girl like oh, yeah. gingerly goes to hand her the rags to wear and Danny just snatches them out of her hand. The girl like scurries off. And she has to threaten the matron here. Yeah, and she's like, Danny's pissed. She's like, you're going to regret this. I was the wife of a great call. Yeah, you have made a mistake. One you will regret. I'm like, oh, man. Aggressive. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's kind of like her titles, titles, titles to the cowl and he call. And he's like, you know, you are nothing queen of your millionth name yeah, or whatever. Millionth of your name. Queen of nothing. And so the matron, she goes, we know who you are. We remember you eating the stallion heart here. Why didn't you come to us after your call died? Yeah, it's so funny. And she's just like, because I'm fucking Daenerys Stormborn. I'm Danny, bitch. bitches. Yeah, <laughs> and she lists off some of her titles. Breaker of chains, queen of marine, and mother of dragons. My place is not here with you. And I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good point. <laughs> it's it is a good point, but to the matron, she's like, you were the wife of a call. Yeah, you thought he would conquer the world. She's conquering the world herself, yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> she doesn't need a call to conquer the world for her. Yeah, the 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 matron continues. She's you know, she's like, you know, I was also the white of wife of a great call, call Savo. I thought he would conquer the world with me at his side. And I'm like, huh, that's because you're not a conqueror yourself. You know, Danny is. She didn't need that conqueror doing it for her. Yeah. And I also think while the matron may or may not know that Danny is a conqueror herself, mm -hmm. um, 
I think she's trying to relate to Danny and say to her, like, right. I've been in your shoes. I know that feeling. You married this guy. You thought you had this major call of star. I mean, Call Drogo was quite a loved and respected call. Oh, yeah. He's famous um, in the Dothraki world. and He's like the Mance Raider of Dothraki. Yeah, he's like the big guy. And... <laughs> You know, but what she's saying is she's trying to relate to Danny. Like, we were all there. We've all thought that before. Like, that's, we're like a sisterhood. Yeah, totally. In a way. Exactly. She goes, We were all young once, but we all understand the way things are. You, were, you will learn as well if you are fortunate enough to stay with us. If? If <laughs> <laughs> every Khaleesi becomes a Dosh Kaleen. She goes, yeah, right after your call dies, you went out into the world. That is not allowed. Yeah. Um, so now the, she's now like, the all of the Kalasars have come back. Oh, yeah, that's true for some thing that they do. Kalar Vezvin? Kalar Vezvin, yeah. Not sure. They, this is basically like a grand council. They're going to decide which cities that they're going to sack, which ones they're going to enslave people from. Um, and now they have to decide what they're going to do with this silver-haired widow. If your yep. place is here with us, Mother of Dragons, it's the best you can hope for. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. She calls her Mother of Dragons and simultaneously says, this is the best you can hope for. It's like... Uh, you're acknowledging the existence of, of dragons here. What do you think? Her dragons are just going to allow this? Like, <laughs> just to let continue. her continue? <laughs> yeah. The, the, you know, she's just going to stay here and wither away and that Drogon isn't going to come and roast the whole fucking place. And I'm sure they've heard the stories of her walking out of the fire, too, because there right. were a handful of straggler dothraki that were following danny at that time and i'm I'm sure they've been now absorbed into other kalasars or even killed off perhaps yeah, totally. but um i'm sure there are stories and rumors yeah i mean a lot of, of the, a lot of the kalasar abandoned her before yes the they were just were stragglers there was but, just a handful yeah it interestingly though remember the the matron is like you know you, you thought that call drogo would conquer the world with you at his side and Interestingly, she could say that, well, she could, she could paint it as like, as if Khal Drogo died and his, his essence transformed into the dragons, basically, you know what I mean? So in a way, Khal Drogo gave birth to the dragons by dying himself and um, being, you know, the Because only the death can pay for, for life. Yeah, exactly. So in a way, it is Khal Drogo that's like helping her to conquer the, the world right now. Through the, Ooh, I through love the existence that. of the dragons. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so that was my number two. Do you have anything else you want to add before we go on to your number one? Yeah, it's it's so great how she managed to manages to escape this situation. Yeah. Doesn't even need her dragons. Definitely. So awesome. Uh I think that's pretty much it. We can jump to my okay. number one. My number one is a girl is no one. Ooh. <laughs> so as usual, Arya's getting whooped on by the waif, just pummeled yeah. in the face with this. <laughs> it's hard to watch. Yeah. Just staff cracking her in the, across the skull a million times. 
bleeding. This is the waif's like favorite pastime is just beating the piss out of Arya. <laughs> yeah. Until it starts to until Arya starts to get the better of her coming up and it, you can tell mm-hmm. she gets frustrated. Um so she's whooping on her and everything and asking who she is and Arya's like no one. And then she's like who were you before? And so she starts telling about Arya Stark and about her family and her, her father was Eddard Stark and who her mother was and about how she had two a sister and four brothers and whack hits her for lying about having four brothers. And uh it's more of a lie than Arya even knows because <laughs> it's not that he's just a half brother. He's not any like a brother of hers at all, really. That's true. They're cousins. Yeah. So she corrects it. The lie saying three brothers, um, Rob, Bran, Rickon, and a half brother, John. And so there's theories that Jock and Hagar is Rhaegar Reg- Targaryen. Oh, which is an interesting theory. And, uh, worth looking into well doesn't he have like that streak of silver hair uh yeah that could be a clue um so jock and hagar he's kind of t- switched places a couple times with the waif so if if Rhaegar is one of these faceless men this one that's doing the interrogation here is not Rhaegar, probably because when she said a half brother john he probably would have smacked her again for lying there <laughs> i mean she doesn't yeah. know she's lying, but if that was Rhaegar as a faceless man, he'd be like, no, a man is a girl's cousin. Yeah. So he might have smacked her again for lying there. Odds are that on the show, Jack and Hagar is not Rhaegar, but that would be cute. <laughs> so um, he's asking, like, she's asking where all of her family is now, and she's talking about how they're, they could be dead, and the hound becomes a topic, and Arya says she left him to die. I like how she wafts the smells of the bull. She's like t- oh, testing right. all the powders and she's smelling the powder and one of them smells really bad. And then she's like wafting the smell of another one and she goes to put it in one vial and then moves it to the next vial. And Jock and Hagar is watching her from the right. background. She's making poisons or something? I don't know what she's making, but she's functioning as a blind person. Yeah. You know, definitely. like figuring it out. And I think he's approving of that. He's watching her with like a smirk on his face. Like she's figuring it out. Yeah, definitely. There's more ways that she learns to thrive as a blind person in the books too, which you guys will really get a kick out of for sure. Oh, cool. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil them though. So, she says that she left the hound to die and that he was on her list and then whack again gets smacked when lying about the, about the hound and she divulges that he was not on her list anymore. She'd taken him off of the list by the time that she left him to die. And I think we really pinpointed the moment that it happened when we were reviewing that whole um, yeah. section when he told her the story about his burns and she's, she then started feeling empathy for him and tried to help him with his wound. And he was so um, PTSD'd out. Yeah. I think that's kind of the moment when the transformation occurred in her mind to where he was no longer irredeemable, basically. Yeah. So the waif is like, what? She, you didn't want the hound dead any longer? She didn't want him dead? And Arya says, no, she, she did and she did not. Um, and the waif replies, she sounds confused. And Arya says, yes, she was. 
And I just thought this part was interesting because Arya is referring or no one is referring to Arya as like in using language of the past tense. Yes. She, she was confused. She did. And she did not want him to die. And uh, it's interesting because it, like it's, it's making Jockin. It's like Im- implying to Jockin that she sees Arya as a past figure and it's not Arya anymore. Oh yeah. So th- that's good because it makes her seem like she's really transfer transforming into no one. But at the same time, because she could just be referring to the way that Arya felt at those moments, like she was confused. She did and did not want the Hound to die. So it's not definitive. But then, as she is exceeding with these potions that she's making, she's going through more tests. She's divulging names on her list, and uh, people have speculated that the that the waif may be a fray. Remember that from yeah. her feedback. Right as Arya is listing names from her list, she says Walder Frey. The camera is like sort of zoomed in on the waif's face and she has sort of an interesting reaction. Maybe it means oh. something, maybe it doesn't. Ammo for waif Speculation, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. And so the waif is like, that's a pretty short list because all it was was three people. Cersei, Gregor, Clegane, and Walder Frey. And she's like, what? That can't be everyone you want to kill. And I thought for a second that maybe she was bummed out that she didn't make the list. That's what I thought too. Like (laughs) we're egging Arya on to say she, how she really feels about wanting to kill the waif. Right. And also at the same time, the waif is kind of fucking up here because she's gone from past tense to present tense here. And she's like, that can't be everyone you want to kill. Whereas she should be saying that can't be everyone that Arya wanted to kill. So the waif is all fucked up with her <laughs> grammar. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, is, is it currently Aria that you're talking to or is it nobody make up your fucking mind? You're supposed to be training her and you're screwing up your tenses. Maybe that's, maybe that's part of the training though, is Aria is using sh- the past tense because Aria is trying to become no one, but the wave still sees that there's Aria in her. So she's referring to her as Aria still. Uh, maybe, maybe very interesting. <laughs> So the waif's like, are you sure you're not forgetting someone? And Arya's like, which name would you like a girl to speak? <laughs> which I, I thought was that. interesting. Yeah. She's like taking control and becoming more assertive. And the waif is starting to get frustrated. And uh, Cause she's starting to learn how to play the game. Right. Yeah. She's learning and the waif is not liking this improvement. And she's starting to get more agitated as they're physically fighting also. And Arya starts deflecting deflecting the the blows even though she's blind yeah she's figuring out the waif's patterns yeah and the waif is getting all mad and jockin is smiling and then it cuts to aria sitting beneath the sculpture of the werewood god and jockin is tempting her again (laughs) it's like it's almost too soon right after the temptations from last episode all Arya, like Arya knows that if she wants to get what she wants, all she has to do is just say no, basically. So Jockin yeah. is like, if a girl tells me her name, I will give her eyes back. <laughs> Arya's like, a girl has no name. And Jockin's like, come again, just like last episode, the same fucking thing. Like she's picking up these patterns and she's able to like play the game now and manipulate them almost yep. to get what's what she wants. Um, so she follows Jockin and brings her he brings her over to the well and give him the the poison well you know where she's been killing people from at the house of black and white and he 
fills a bowl of water and hands it to her. And Arya sort of hesitates. She knows what, what he's giving her. And this part is confusing to me because she kept needle. We know she's not really no one. The face acted as poison for her, made her blind. Yet here, the only way that seemingly the only way that she'd be able to survive drinking this water, this poison water from the pool here is if she's really no one. Cause she hesitates and Jockin says, if a girl is truly no one, she has nothing to fear. So that's implying like, if you are really initiated, like if you're really one of us and you've abandoned the ego and like your former sense of identity, then you will survive this. And Arya drinks the water and closes her eyes and opens them and her blindness is gone. Like her eyes are back to normal. And I'm like, wait, the, what, what the fuck is going on here? Because it, like her getting her sight back, that implies that she is no one at this point, but we kind of think she's not also. So what the fuck is going on? What do you think? Do you think maybe there's some magic, hidden magic going on that Jockin is doing behind the scenes because he knows she's not meant to be no one? That's entirely possible. But that she's completed the training that she needed while she was blind to get to kind of like her next step in her development from his perspective. So he might be playing, you know, behind the scenes with some magic. Maybe. It also made me think of Melisandre drinking the poison that Mela, that uh, Maester Crescent gave her in the Ooh, season yeah, two premiere. Oh yeah, that's right. And Melis and Melisandre, she wears a glamour, right? She's kind of like no one herself in a way. Well, don't they worship the same god? I mean, isn't the Red God the Lord of Light? Yeah, I mean, we've heard Jockin say the Red God too. So maybe there's some kind of connection that if you're like. In with the if you're in with well, the and Melisandre wears red. She calls so she calls the god the Lord of Light, but she wears red. She's and Jock and Hagar calls also. him the. Oh, she has. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So maybe like if you're in with the Lord of Light, you can drink poison and survive or something. <laughs> maybe maybe you don't have to really be fully no one. So she drinks it, gets her sight back. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, we know she doesn't end up as no one. She's like, I'm Arya Stark and I'm going back home. And Jockin's like, okay. You know, like in a few episodes or whatever. Do so, it. Yeah, it's just like, what the fuck? How is she able to do this and survive? Just interesting. It's a good question for sure. How can she pass this test when she's not really no one? So when I was watching this scene, I thought of something. And so I have a question for you because I couldn't remember myself. Does John die the same episode that Arya goes blind? Yes. Because she gets her sight back. Technically the same episode that we finally see John like moving around as uh, a live person again. Yeah, because it's both the season five finale when John is stabbed and when Arya goes blind, and that's the cliffhanger we get for her. That's for right. Okay, I, that's what I thought. I mean, I know John technically opens his eyes last episode, but it's like the very last second of the episode. So right. this is really <laughs> the first time that we see John like br- like alive, and Arya also gets her sight back and. You know, we know that she has a very special connection with John. We know that John gave her needle. We also just because we're just because we're getting these pieces of the story 
at the same time as we're being told the story, though, doesn't mean that these events are happening anywhere near each other in the timeline. Sure, sure. But I just thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't really know, like, what I could read into with that, but it was just kind of a funny parallel that Arya goes blind when John dies. So she's kind of in the dark. And so is John because he doesn't see anything. And then the same episode that John, you know, we see John like truly breathing again and Arya gets her sight back. It's the same episode. So I just thought it was an interesting little parallel. Yeah. Very, very nice. Whether it was intentional or not, I don't know, you know, whether or not they're related in terms of the events being related to one another. It's, it's definitely a good way to structure the storytelling. Well, and it could also allude to what we were just talking about is some magic being performed by Jockin because if they both worship the same gods, Melisandre used magic to resurrect John, Jockin could certainly use magic to give Arya her sight back. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Nice number one. It's a good scene. Thanks. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a a classic. What about you? What's your number one? My number one was John's booty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. So what do you got for notes? The first note that I have is Sam getting seasick. Oh, yeah. His preview, the preview of all the Citadel barfing and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I thought that too. It's like Sam has a weak stomach. <laughs> he pukes a lot. Yeah. So Sam is just not feeling well. And Gilly's like, are you okay? And Sam's like, yeah, I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I love Gilly's line here. She goes, did I ever tell you I used to think the sea was called the sea because it was nothing but water as far as the eye could see? And Sam's like, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why would you tell me that? See, see. They're spelled different, but they sound the same. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Gilly is silly. Hilarious. Yeah. And Sam is just not looking good at all. Yeah. And he's vomiting and she gets some water for him. And, you know, he washes, kind of washes his mouth out. And Gilly's like trying to kind of comfort him here. She's like, it's not going to be too long. We'll be in the South soon. Um, yeah, and she, the captain says that Old Town is the most beautiful city in all of Westeros, which is kind of cool. And, but she, she looked legit <laughs> excited when she was saying that. Like, I thought it was pretty yeah. good acting. Yeah. And then, so she's talking about it, but she's also looking over at Sam. She's yeah. like, are you going to throw up again? He looks distinctly sick at that moment. And I think it's because she mentions Old Town and he thinks about his father because he's like uh, well we're not going to old town quite oh, yet we got a good call so i think that he's sick there <laughs> he looks sick because he's thinking about seeing randall tarley he has to see his dad again uh-huh. with a wildling who yeah. we know he's not fond of <laughs> so he sort of eases into informing gilly of the change in plans he's like well the citadel doesn't admit women and children and, and i don't have a mr amen or a Jon Snow to help me bend the rules there. <laughs> so you're going to have to go stay with my mom and my sister and my evil dad. But don't worry. My mom's cool. Yeah, and she's <laughs> she's all mad. She's like, well, you said, you know, wherever you go, I go too and everything. And she's getting all pissed off and silly is mad. Silly gilly. Silly gilly, gilly flower. But she comes around pretty quickly when he's like, listen, like, 
know, I said that because I want to keep you safe. And this is to keep you safe, like becoming a maester, like this is maybe the one thing that can help you be safe. He, you know, he's going to play an important role with the information that he gets here. And to your point about feeling sick about seeing his dad again, um, I know you had spoken about that um, Randall used to beat him with maester chains because Sam wanted to be a maester. Or maybe that was someone from Raven's Calls. Yeah, somebody mentioned that. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't remember. He at least kept Sam in chains, (laughs) you know, at certain points. So So he's getting physically sick here, too, because he's going back to see Randall because he's on his way to become a maester. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Randall's like, oh, you make me sick. And he's like, so, so do you, father. (laughs) Man boobs. (laughs) Totally. So, yeah. So we're going to, we're actually going to go to Horn Hill. Um, My father's, well, you know, but my mom, my mom's super nice, and my sister <laughs> is lovely. They'll take care of the both of you. Yeah, and Gilly, you know, has quite a change of heart after she learns that Sam really is trying to just look out for him, and she, you know, takes note that he's really the only person who ever has looked out for him. She's like, "Well, if you think it's for the best, we trust you." And I was like, "Wow, she's taking this change of plans pretty well." <laughs> yeah, because he does make the point, you know, like, "What are you going to do by yourself in Old Town?" Like you have no money and you have a baby and I can't help you because I'm going to be basically in school and not going to be making any money as a maester. So like basically you're going to, this is the only way. And plus he is right. I mean, Hornhill is so out of the fold at this point. Like this is the first time we've really heard more about where Sam is from. Yeah. And it's relatively safe because Hornhill is not a part of this whole like War of the Five Kings and has not necessarily chosen any sides. So like the fighting is far away. Yeah, it's pretty it's, untouched. It's pretty neutral. So it is a safe place for her to go. Unless yes. unless Randall finds out she's a wildling. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so she she goes back over and, you know, sits down with little Sam and he goes, you know, I said that because I want you and little Sam to be safe. That's all I want to become a maester so I can help John when the time comes so you'll be safe. So we get kind of a glimpse into Sam's thought process here. He's like, I get to become a maester. I've wanted to become a maester. I get to help my best friend and I get to keep my woman and her son alive. And he thinks he can have a real, like a real effect. You know, he's like serious about this. Like I may be able to. It's the one thing that he can contribute to the end of the world is his, his mind. Yeah. He may be able to do something real positive. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, she says, well, we trust you then. And he goes, I just feel a lot better. (laughs) If you threw something at me, because you should be kind of mad at that. (laughs) (laughs) She goes, I'd never do that to the father of my son. And I love that. And he looks over at little Sam and Sam looks over at him and smiles back at him. And it's like, oh, Sam's a dad. (laughs) And I was wondering, ooh, is she pregnant also? (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Well, then he would have broken that. That is breaking the vows because he's not supposed to father any children. Yeah. Technically, that may be accurate. He's like, well, I'll just, you know, let somebody else take care of it. And I'm not fathering him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
right? So that's all I have on that scene. Nice. Yeah, same here. Good scene. What's your next note? My next note is fucking awkwardness between Tyrion and Missandei and okay. Grey Worm. Jeez. Yeah. Ooh, Tyrion is just tense. trying to get him to like, you know, open up. Talk. Talk just at all. He's like, to Missandei, he's like, you speak 19 languages. You must occasionally use some of them to talk about <laughs> things. Which I thought was funny. Yeah. He's like, well, what would you guys be talking about if I wasn't here? And Grey Worm's like, patrol. What we do on patrol. Who we find on patrol, who we arrest on patrol, what is he doing patrol? <laughs> Tyrion is like trying to like be nice about it. He's like, he's like, <laughs> that's good. That's very good. But that's a report. <laughs> that's yeah. a duty report. I was thinking more about like a conversation. <laughs> conversation, talking about things. And I'm like, oh, this is fucking brilliant. And this next line that he has and the way that Missande reacts and everything is just priceless. It's so funny. A wise man once said the true history of the world is the history of great conversation in elegant rooms. And Missande is like, who said this? <laughs> He's like, me, just now. Which is hilarious. <laughs> like any other person, they would be like laughing or like, like yeah. oh, that was so cool. You and Missandei's like awkward, just blank, and he's like, uh, "All right, no conversations. Strike one." Are those crickets I hear? Yeah. So he changes tactics. He's trying to play a game, and neither of them a drinking game. Yeah. They don't drink, and he's like, "Okay, then no drinking." And that's uh, strike two. And Grey Worm's like, "Games are for children." And Missandei's like, "Master Krasnys would make us play games." Just the girls, though. And Tyrion's like, oh, God, no. Oh, like, God, no. no those, those are not the games. Yeah, fun <laughs> games. Uh, so funny. Uh, Tyrion. He's, he's just striking out with them after everything. And he's like, well, I have a great game. He's like, we, we can play without drinking. I make a statement about your past. And if I'm wrong, I drink. And if I'm right, oh, and he's like thinking in his mind. Uh, that like, doesn't have to work. Drink. You know, maybe we can't play without drinking. And. Right then, Varys enters, and he's like, oh, God, finally, like, the, <laughs> tough crowd. <laughs> oh, you took your time. <laughs> Thank you for finally, save me. It's so funny. And uh, it turns out that Varys playing the happy maker has worked really well because he's learned some valuable information from the evil whore woman. Yes. Uh, about who funds the Sons of the Harpy etc. Unfortunately, it's just Astapor and Yunkai and Volantis. <laughs> I think it's interesting that the Volantis got involved. Makes sense because they're like a big slave city. They, they oh, get a lot okay. of their slaves from Astapor and Yunkai. Oh, yeah, because they're the ones that do the tattoos. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, naturally, they're trying to get the people who get them slaves to continue doing it. So they're funding that operation in part, interestingly. So um, he's like, great. We don't really have to worry about the local rebellion, just about the three rich foreign cities that are, you know, running it, basically. <laughs> Fuck, that so makes our fact. problem more complicated. <laughs> Grey Worm wants to attack. Even Missandei wants to attack. She has she's like, we cannot let this happen. Yeah, she's like, the masters only speak one language. And they've spoke it to me for many years. I know it better than my mother tongue. If we want them to hear us, we must speak it back to them. May it be the last thing they ever hear, which I thought was super intense. We don't normally see Missandei getting this intense about stuff. 
No, but she's pretty passionate about keeping the slaves free. Yeah, totally. So really cool to see a little fire out of Masande. And Tyrion's like, you may be right. We'll possibly fight them. <laughs> and he decides to enlist Varys to, to send a message to the masters with his birds. So Cersei is trying to get information from her birds in, in Westeros. Tyrion is sending out birds all across Essos. Um, it's pretty interesting. The, the, Varys was able to cultivate a new spy army pretty quickly, it seems. <laughs> Although he Definitely. already had a network operating over here, so he's just operating himself from a different place at this point, basically. So yeah. uh, pretty interesting. Um he has a cool line, man can be fickle, but birds I always trust. Yeah. And I can tell you as a bird owner, don't trust birds. I love Loki. I love that he <laughs> hides in your sweatshirt. Yeah, my dragon. It's like, peekaboo. Yep, totally. <laughs> or that video that you took of him, and he's like in the shower curtain. Oh, and yeah. And he like scurries out. <laughs> <laughs> With his beak on the, on the, yes. uh, the surface. He's, he's funny. sliding along. Yeah, he's a goofball. Loki, our mascot. Yep. <laughs> the dragon. Yeah, the dragon. So what do you got next for your notes? The next on my notes is um, Tommen and the High Sparrow. Yeah. And he's just entrancing Tommen. Yeah, I mean, Tommen is so malleable. And we know from previous... I know we've talked about this on previous episodes. That Tommen is you know, prone to religion that he's, yeah, he's brought up pious. religion a few times. Yeah. A few times. So Tommen is trying so hard. I have like, I have a love hate relationship with Tommen. Like I want him to just like grow some balls <laughs> and just step out there on his own, just do it and step into the role. But at the same time, he still looks like such a little boy. It's hard to take him seriously as a King. Totally. He's just pouty little face and everything is goofy yeah. little hand gestures. Yeah, and so he comes in and he goes, Hilarious. my mother would like to see her daughter's final resting place. <laughs> the high sparrow's like, oh, I'm sorry, your grace. That's not possible. Tommen is like, what? When? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I am the king. I am the king. And what does that remind you of? Yeah, Tywin. Any man who has to say he is the king is no king at all. No, no king at all. Mm-hmm. So the high sparrow tells Tommen, you know, she can come back in here when she's fully atoned for her sins. And Tommen, like, starts freaking out at him. He's like, you cut all her hair off. You made her walk through the streets butt naked. Like, what else is she supposed to do? Yeah, like, what in the actual fuck, bruh? And he goes, no, she has to, she has to now go to trial before seven septons so we can learn the extent of the sins. And I thought to myself... Well, what more if she's already confessed her sins and done a walk of atonement, if they find more dirt out from her, then what's next? You know, I guess they're just like leading her kind of down this rabbit hole. of yeah. She's just going to be put in the same situation kind of over again. Totally. So Tommen gets a little bit closer and. You know. The the high sparrow says to him. You know, it means a great deal to me that the crown and the faith are the two pillars of the world. Do you know who told me that? Your mother. Yo, mama. And 
it's like, oh my God, Cersei, like you gave him this ammo. You totally. gave him this ammunition that he is equal to kings, essentially. They're two equal pillars. And he goes, my mother, the one who's unclean, <laughs> who needs to like basically, you know, repent even more for her sins. He's like, yeah, that one. And, you know, the High Sparrow, he's like, okay, we just need to have a one-on-one here, son. Like, let's send our guards out of here. Which, again, Tommen is so naive to do that. Yeah, so Although stupid. Although there are some Kingsguard, like, in the distance behind him. There's certain camera angles. You do see some oh, guards standing. so they didn't standing. fully leave. They didn't fully leave, but they kind of backed off Even a little so, bit. Even so, like, still. just putting himself to be in a position to be solely influenced by the High Sparrow here. Without exactly. any, like, lawyer or, you know what I mean, like, any opposing counsel. Exactly. You know, so he um, basically kind of just goes into the the religion and, yeah. you know, the mother and how it emanates through Cersei. You know, she she speaks of you and the mother's love outshines it all. He goes into persuasion mode like he's he's exactly. connecting with Tommen about about Cersei and then he's making himself relatable, saying that I'm a sinner too. envy. You know, you had a mother and I never did. It's one more thing for me to atone for. And he's doing going through all these things that are tactics of persuasion in you like coming across as if you're on the same level, like, oh, let me sit down here, sit with me. You're on the same level. But exactly. it's, it's in reality, he's just taken control of the situation and he's telling you what to do, but it's disguised as like being yep. on equal playing ground. Exactly. You know, yeah, it's crazy. You know, so uh, Tommen is very intri- intrigued with what he's talking about and he I think him. is buying into it a little bit. Like, he knows that his mother has, you know, committed these sins. And um, I think he starts seeing a kind of connection between the High Sparrow and his grandfather, Tywin. Yeah. You know? And that's so, like, uh, he, he really respected Tywin. Yeah, because so he goes, a dangerous. true leader avails himself to the wisest counsel he can. And that was like the first piece of advice that Tywin gave to Tommen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and no one is wiser than the gods. Like, listen to me. And yeah, Tommen's like, my grandfather yeah. once said something similar. And I think he's looking for... Except for the part um, about the gods. A relationship to kind of fill that role. That exactly. Tywin, so he's... He's hooked at that point. He's open to this whole situation. Oh, it's so messed up. So it's so manipulative. Oh. So that's it for me with that note. Tommen totally pawned or pwned here. He's just uh, such a... Pwnage. Pwnage. Capital P-W-N-D. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on from there, we go to Ramsey and the Karstark son and small John Umber, whose father was the guy, the, the great John, who questioned Rob's authority at the dinner table and Grey Wind ripped off a couple of his fingers. Yeah, yeah. The meat part. is bloody tough. <laughs> yeah, great character. So um, they are interviewing the small John, basically trying to get them onto their side because they know that they need those three houses basically to dominate the North. 
and the uh, Lord Karstark is wary because the Umbers are famously loyal to the Starks. And the small John turns it around on him like, so are you. You guys are, you know, you you share a bloodline with the Starks, but, you know, you, you, times change. You're not here supporting them anymore. Yeah, here we are. So Ramsey is trying to push the lie but that, that his father was assassinated by their enemies and small, the small John's not buying it. He's, He's like, like, you no, killed no, no, him. No, no, no. Yeah, your <laughs> father was a cunt. You killed him. <laughs> Admit it. I might have done the same thing. Uh, if he hadn't done me the favor of, of my father hadn't done me the favor of dying on his own, which was kind of funny. And Ramsey is like still pushing the line. My father was poisoned by our enemies. He's like, yeah, sure. That's bullshit. So he, he's like, basically he's like, why are you here? And they want to join up, but the small John is not into kneeling or swearing any oaths or anything like that. He's worried that, that that if Jon Snow comes south, that the the wildlings slash Night Watch might be able to take Winterfell if uh, with a Stark basically leading them because he knows the terrain better and all that. And he's like, "I'm listen. I'm not going to kiss your fucking hand or get on my knees or any of that bullshit. But I do have a gift that'll convince you that we're on the Ugh. same side here." And uh, he's like, well, I hope it's a, a girl. I like redheads. And I like redheads. And he's like, well, one of them is a girl. And it's revealed and that it's And one of them's Asha. a redhead. <laughs> yeah, it's Osha. And we're like, oh, fuck. Natalia I know. Tenna. Like, goddamn. It's and that's been not so good. long since we've seen them. Yeah, since season four. And um, we're like, oh, God, if that, if that's Osha, then the other person underneath that. Is a Rickon. Yep. Bomi pulls off the hood and it's Rickon. We're like, Fuck. Yeah. And Ramsey's like, oh, well, how do I know that this is Lord Stark? I love how he goes right up to his face and looks at him. Yeah. To, to, he like yeah, inspects so him. And he's like, and how do I know this is Rickon? Yeah. And he's like, well, there's this other thing. And he, Rickon and Osha look at each other like, oh, like both depressed by what, what's about to be revealed. And he comes out with Shaggy Dog's head oh, on yeah. the hook. Oh, yeah. And they look away. Oh, this is yeah, so sad. Rickon can't look at it. He's like, oh looks away neither can neither can osha yeah they're both really upset about this and uh, you know for good reason i would be trying to bite out these motherfuckers throats if they were parading my dead dog in front of (laughs) in front of me like this i'd be like hell no yeah no fucking chance so uh so ramsey in creepy fashion sees the dead direwolf's head and he's like oh it is true welcome home lord stark (laughs) ha 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 your days are numbered. Yup. Make sure to zigzag. <laughs> Don't forget to zigzag. <laughs> yup. And that's it. That's all I have for notes. How about you? Anything else you want to talk about? I have one more thing. Cool. What do you this, got? This episode is called Oathbreaker. And I was curious which, which scene you thought best encompassed what this name of the... Um, this episode is good question um well we have john potentially breaking his night's watch oath we have danny who's intending on breaking her i don't know if there's a vow involved other than her marriage vow to call drogo which would bind her to this tradition of the vice dothrak so she wants to break that whole oath um what else did you notice anything no, those were the two that I noted as well. And I just thought it was interesting that it was both Danny and John. True. 
that were um, the oath breakers in this, well, you know, quote unquote, technically speaking, oath breakers. I wonder if there's so, anything with Ned and the people at the Tower of Joy, too. There's probably some oath breaking thing going on there as well. Oh, that was the other one I had starred. Sorry, I have one more page here. Is um, Howland Reed stabbing Sir Arthur Dane in the back? I think it's kind of like taboo to stab people in yeah, the back. Not necessarily an oath, but yeah, it's not. It's not like you know, it's frowned upon for sure. Yeah, considered dirty and underhanded, and yeah, not honorable. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, that was it for me. I just, I forgot that I wanted to ask you to see if we picked on that it was John and Danny. Sure, if any of uh, if any of you guys out there have other good ideas of ways that the word Oathkeeper plays into the material of this, or yeah, Oathbreaker <laughs> plays into the material <laughs> of this episode, let us know. I'd love to hear yeah, your interpretations. Yeah, please do. We'd love that. Definitely. All right, stick with us for a few seconds, guys. We'll be right back after this short break. This is a segment from my song about the battle at the Tower of Joy. From popculture.com, 60 mile per hour winds destroy Game of Thrones' famous tree. How sad. By Alison Shanter. A tree made famous by HBO's Game of Thrones has been destroyed by strong winds that swept through Northern Ireland over the weekend. According to The Independent, the dark hedges, a tunnel of beech trees, was uprooted by gale force winds of up to 60 miles per hour on Saturday, causing one of the trees to fall sometime in the night of Saturday, January 26th. Located on the Bergach Road near Armoy in Northern Ireland, the trees were planted more than 200 years ago at the entrance to the Stewart family's Grace Hill House Mansion. I have ancestors of that house, the Stewart family. Really? That's cool. Yes. And the branches grew over the decades to create a twisting canopy over the road. Originally, there had been around 150 trees, but that number has since dwindled to about 90. The Dark Hedges was made famous after they appeared throughout the course of Game of Thrones Season 2 as the King's Road, which runs from King's Landing to the Wall in Westeros. The scenic location first appeared in Season 2, Episode 1, The North Remembers, as Arya Stark escaped from King's Landing and fled down the King's Road disguised as a boy with Yorin, Gendry, and Hot Pie. The location has also appeared in a number of other popular series and movies, including Transformers The Last Night. Nice. That's sad, though, that they're getting destroyed from storms. Yeah, it sucks. I I know that scene with them walking Arya and Gendry and Yorin. I remember that. Yeah, I'll, road. I'll have to go back and check it out because I'm. It's really pretty. Next, we have from narcity.com. Florida's famous Renaissance Fair is hosting a Game of Thrones adventure weekend by Janelle Espinal. 
If you are a fan of the HBO show Game of Thrones, then you'll be a fan of this medieval epic festival. It's a place where you can dress and act like a queen or pretend you're in the Battle of the Bastards. <laughs> Florida's Renaissance Fair will be hosting a Game of Thrones adventure themed weekend, and it's going to be mystical. The festival will be hosted by Deerfield Beach with a special GOT adventure the first weekend on February 9th and 10th. This weekend will be all about intrigue, betrayal, power, mystery, royalty, and the adventure at the village of Kegsworthy. Sounds like fun. You can play. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's like a Game of Thrones cosplay weekend. Totally. So cool. <laughs> you can play your fantasies at this festival and see as many Jon Snows as you want during the weekend. <laughs> and even if you miss this weekend, you can attend the, the next six weekends and catch the medieval inspired activities. According to the show director, Richard Weber, the staff is being prepared for GOT storylines, and you'll be able to see a lot of Daenerys. <laughs> Michigan Renaissance Festival already has a GOT-themed weekend, but this is the first one for Florida. I'd like to see a lot of Daenerys, just saying. Bound chicka bow wow. The next weekends will include themes such as pirates, Vikings, and Harry Potter. Game of Thrones weekend will be extra special and will include fight demonstrations with knights. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. Next, moving on to... <laughs> totally. Moving on to Game of Thrones and history from historycollection.co. 10 historical parallels to Game of Thrones. The first is the Red Wedding and Horror in the Highlands. Martin revealed that two events inspired his Red Wedding. The first was the execution of the 16-year-old Earl William Douglas and his younger brother in 1440 at an event known as the Black Dinner. The powerful Earl had accepted an invitation from the 10-year-old King James II to dine at Edinburgh Castle. During the feast, however, Douglas heard the beating of a single drum, at which point a platter was brought to his table. When lifted, the platter revealed the head of a black boar, a symbol Ugh. of death. Being alerted to his fate did nothing to save him, and the earl and his brother were immediately dragged to the courtyard, given a short mock trial, and beheaded. The second, more prescient event took place at Glencoe in the Scottish Highlands, a place of tranquil natural beauty that masks a macabre history. <laughs> What transpired was essentially a massacre, the murder of 38 McDonald, McDonald clan members at the hands of the Campbells, who for nearly two weeks had been their guests. As in Game of Thrones, the reality behind the conspiracy was more complicated. Just as it was actually Tywin Lannister who organized the Starks massacre and the skin-stripping Boltons who helped carry it out, the order at Glencoe was given by the Scottish Secretary of State, John Dalrymple. Dalrymple had a personal vendetta against the Highland clans in general as he saw them as obstructive towards a union with England, but he particularly hated Maclean and his McDonald's of Glencoe. Maclean's failure to sign his oath of allegiance of, to William by the deadline of January 1st gave him the excuse he needed to destroy them. Robert Campbell's soldiers arrived at the McDonald's fort at Glencoe on February 1st. They took shelter from the elements outside and retreated to all the hospitality they were entitled to under the Highland Hospitality Code. Then, on the night of February 13th, 1692, as a blizzard raged outside and everyone was sleeping, the Campbells set about murdering every McDonald they could find. 
38 lay dead inside the fort the next morning, including the clan leader, Alastair MacDonald, known as McLean. Around 40 others, mainly women and children, had fled the fort, including McLean's wife, but ultimately died from exposure on the mountainside. The massacre at Glencoe sent shockwaves through Scotland. Even among the participants, there were those who tried to warn the victims, giving them and their families enough time to layer up and try to make an escape. And its effects are still being felt today. Despite the successes of various historical Campbells, the name still bears the weight of, an, of ancestral responsibility. Visit Glencoe's Clockeg Inn, and you'll see this, a sign in the door that reads, No Campbells. Oh, crazy. <laughs> Hardcore. That's awesome. Next, we have the Night's Watch and the Medieval Holy Orders. Mm. Medieval Europe saw its fair share of harsh winters. In 1258, temperatures plummeted to such an extent that an estimated 20,000 people starved to death in London alone, with people in such desperation that they gnawed bark from the trees. Oh, Oh, that's horrible. It's like Stannis on the island, boiling leather. The siege of Storm's End. Yeah. In 1357, starving wolves prowled through England's Sherwood Forest, hunting humans and livestock alike. But compared to those Westerosi who suffered a long night lasting generations, 8,000 years before the Targaryen conquest, the Europeans were summer children. (laughs) (laughs) The Night's Watch was established in the wake of the long winter. They were established as a military order charged with defending the realm of men against the horrors, or as they're called, others beyond the wall. No such parallel existed in European history unless we look to the Roman legionaries posted on Hadrian's Wall. But if we look to the peripheries of medieval Europe, specifically the Holy Land at the time of the Crusades, we can see patterns into which the men of the Night's Watch fit. One was the Knights Templar. I love the Knights Templar. Yep. Such cool stuff with them. Got family that sheltered the Templars too when they were kicked out of France in the early 1300s. That's badass. In Scotland. One was the Knights Templar, a military holy order whose job was, it was to protect pilgrims passing through the Holy Land. Another was the Teutonic Order, initially charged with caring for the sick in the same vein as the Knights Hospitaller, but militarized at the end of the 12th century. Both Templars and Teutons took vows of celibacy, renouncing female contact of any sort, including kissing their mothers. (laughs) And this embracement of chastity finds echoes in the vow of the Knights Watch. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children, I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. It's crazy. Definitely. We don't know the wording of the vow sworn by the Knights of the Teutonic Order. It's safe to say, however, that rather than hearkening on about the night gathering and one's (laughs) watch beginning, (laughs) it's centered around defending the Holy Land from the infidel and helping take it back from Christian for Christianity. But we know there were many similarities, encouraging poverty, chastity, and obedience to God's will. There are also a number of similarities regarding the hierarchical structure of the fictional and historical orders. Just as men of the Night's Watch are answerable entirely to their elected Lord Commander, 
The Templars and Teutons were utterly obedient to their elected Grand Master. Both the historical and the fictional orders were also completely autonomous. They weren't answerable to individual individuals. (laughs) (laughs) Kings or countries or individuals outside their order as they were seen as serving a higher purpose. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love the learning about like Knights Templar and those old secret societies and stuff like that. So cool. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. I have ancestors in the house Sinclair in Scotland who sheltered the Templars after being eradicated and kicked out of France by, I can't remember what king it is, the king from that TV show Nightfall, King Philip. Oh, oh yeah. But yeah, these Sinclairs may have been involved somehow in the the money pit at Oak Island to the interesting mystery of the treasure allegedly that exists up there in oak island in canada nova scotia yeah heard about that pretty crazy just interesting you hear that but what's that ravens (laughs) princess sarah of house von daltron i love the way alistair goes out he's an under underappreciated character in my opinion He did everything he was supposed to, kept it real, and tried to be reasonable for the most part. Just so happened that Jon Snow was the first dude in hundreds of years to be stark raving mad, but right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he thought he was uh, doing the right thing for sure. He did what he thought he needed to do for his oath and to keep the people safe. And uh, yeah, it just so happened that Jon was right and he wasn't (laughs) in this case. (laughs) But he, uh, you know, he went out believing he did the right thing for sure. I think so, too. Lady Alicia of House Stout writes, one could argue, is John leaving the Night's Watch an oath break? Yeah, I think it could be be. looked at it that way. The oath of the Night's Watch does say that you are the watcher on the wall until your death. Technically, John died. Therefore, his watch is over and no oath is broken. Now, I guess you could look at it on a metaphorical sense, then yes, it could be oath br- an oath-breaking moment. Yeah, I kind of agree. It's kind of gray territory because yeah. most people don't come back from the dead. Yeah, it's, yeah, whether looking at it metaphorically or literally or, yeah, it depends on the context, yeah, like everything. but good catch, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Sir Matthew of House Rep. Once again, I have to commend the writers for picking a perfect title for this episode and all the nods to the broken oaths within it. Ooh, this sounds interesting. Oh, nice. The biggest one is John leaving the Night's Watch, claiming that his watch is over. We also have Danny knowingly or unknowingly breaking her oath to join the Dosh Kaleen upon Drogo's death. Ollie and Sir Alistair being, hu- Alistair being hung for breaking their oaths to serve the, under the Lord Commander. Ah, of course. House Umber and Karstark have now broken their oaths to the Starks. Oh, yes. True. Yeah. How did we not see that I don't one? Know. We're idiots, apparently. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, because they've been. Sir Matthew. Yeah, they've been loyal to House Stark for generations, centuries, yeah, thousands sure. of years. Centuries. And the epic Tower of Joy fight takes place because Rhaegar broke his marriage oath to Princess Elia. Ooh, that's a good point, too. Yes. Really good point. Speaking of that Tower of Joy fight, I'm pretty sure one of those two swords that Arthur Dane is using is Dawn due to the sunburst on the hilt. But is Eddard using ice? It doesn't look big enough. 
Good catch. And no, Eddard is not using ice. That was more of a ceremonial blade used for beheadings and things like that. Because um, it was so big. Yeah. Although with Valyrian steel, it would be relatively light, lighter than it would be with regular steel. But we've seen Ned Stark using other swords on other occasions as well. Like when they discover the dire wolves in season one, episode one, um, they hear the sound, they go over there and Ned has a much smaller sword uh, on his waist, on his belt, like an arming sword or something like that, one-handed sword. So it is not uncommon for Ned to be wielding a blade other than ice, which is probably, you know, kept safe most of the time and everything like that, protected unless it's necessary to use it for something. Yeah. Sir Matthew goes on, the waif is insisting that there has to be more people on Arya's list than she has named. Is she insulted that she hasn't been added? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I think so. It's great. And he finishes off his feedback saying, poor shaggy dog. The big old sad face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shaggy it's dog was sad. cool looking too. Big old like, black wolf. Black. Kind of. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. R.I.P. Oh, so sad to know that another dire wolf is gone. Yep, losing them one by one. So just Nymeria and Ghost are left. Summer is alive as well, at this point as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. At long, this though. point. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say at this point, that's true. <laughs> I hate when the dogs die yeah. or the wolves die. Definitely. Lady Lucy of House Jane. Someone needs to be the prince who was promised. <laughs> Does that mean that Melisandre hasn't seen John in the flames? She's just deciding. I'd say that she's seen all these things in the flames and she's just trying like to interpret piecemeal. them. Like she, yeah. had, she had sort of deduced that she thought Stannis was the prince that was promised beforehand. But now she's learning that she learned that that was wrong, obviously. So she's trying to figure out. It's like a puzzle, I yeah. think. I think she sees bits and pieces of certain scenes she knows and images. The prophecy, so she knows that the figure is supposed to be out there. She's just trying to figure out what's what in the visions, basically. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a big giant puzzle. I love the John and Tormund reunion. The closest Tormund can get to telling me that he cares. <laughs> You've got a small pecker. <laughs> AKA, I love you. Yes. <laughs> I love both that Gilly finally gets that Sam is just trying to keep her safe. And also Sam's impeccable vomit timing. <laughs> yeah. Young Ned is so good. And I love yes. the Tower of Joy scene. Me too. Legendary. He's amazing. Legendary. It's also nice to see a chink of imperfection in Ned's persona. It makes him more human. And Arthur Dane is fucking amazing. Yes. <laughs> right? Agreed on all counts. <laughs> I miss petulant Bran. I wonder why he changes into such an emotionalist thing when the current Three-Eyed Raven isn't like ah, that. Ah, we discussed that in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. You you made that point, too, right. that Maybe he's the, like the Three-Eyed Raven is not crazy. Right, yeah. I think it's an overload. I think it's an overload, and it kind of short-circuited his brain <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it sounds right to me. <laughs> Does anyone else want to shout the power of Christ compels you when they see him? Or is that just me? <laughs> when you see Bran? That's hilarious. Because <laughs> he's possessed. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> I really like the scene with Varys and the sex worker. I like how he gets his answers and his way. He does threaten her, but gives her a way out. Yep. Really, really Cray well worms played. Confi 
Very, very Love well it. played for sure. Crayworm's conversation is fascinating. I'm surprised <laughs> that Mace has the balls to walk out on Cersei. Yes, I agree to that, oh, but I think yeah. he feels the power shift for sure. Definitely. I hate that the wave makes Arya say that Jon is her half-brother. As someone who technically only has half-siblings, the term half-brother-sister really, really offends Interesting. me. I've never heard nice. that perspective before. Yeah. I can understand that. It tries to diminish the relationship but by, ha- having, by having it. it. Yeah. Interesting. Halving it. <laughs> Halving. Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I like that perspective. I'm an only child, so I look at my cousins like siblings. So I, you know, feel that too. You know, it's like you don't know what a true sibling feels like. So my cousins, I mean, I saw them every weekend growing up. I lived with two of them, too, over the course of my college years. Nice. Yeah. Do you think that Arya really believes... She is no one at this point. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think maybe she's as far along as she can be, but I don't think Arya ever becomes no one. Yeah, it's truly. so weird, but she drinks that poison and survives. So Yeah, I think it's magic. Uh. Fuck the umbers. Fuck them. Right? Yeah, fuck the umbers, <laughs> man. Normally I'd be like down with the umbers, but not right now. Yeah, <laughs> not these seriously. Umbers. No, they're assholes. And as much as I hate the traitors, you have to admire that they put their lives on the line for what they thought was right. It wasn't, but they thought it was. <laughs> I, yep. you know, I have to agree with that. Definitely. The last line of the episode, sublime. One of my favorite scenes in the whole series so far. What was the last line? My, now my, <laughs> my watch has ended? E- yes. Ugh. Yeah. My watch is in. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love Jon Snow. So good. Maria of Rushai about season six, episode two. Hello, Sir Duncan and Lady Rachel. I'm a longtime listener, first time writer. Hey, thanks for writing in. I'd like to thank you for all the great work you do to provide us with this awesome podcast. It's one of my favorite ones. I liked the theory about Jock and Hagar being Rhaegar Targaryen. I like crazy things like that. And to the point about the relationship between him and Arya, it's pointed out many times that she looks a lot like Lyanna. That's all for this time. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Hope to be able to write to you more in the future. Thanks so much for writing, Maria of Rashai. You're welcome to write anytime you'd like. Always good to hear from you. Nice. Thanks for writing it, everybody. We love your feedback so much. much. Yep. Always love to hear from you guys and love to get your voices out there, too. All right, that's our show, episode 95. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thanks for listening. We love you guys. And a thanks to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. Boobs. <laughs> Boobs. <laughs> Boobs. <laughs> Boobs. <laughs> that's about as low as I it's can just, go. Our whole, our whole show is just going to be Boobs. No. <laughs> If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? 
go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Sirenicide, and Luke the Low Duke. We love you guys. Thank you so much for your patronage. Yes, thank you guys so much. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to Sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. She has been key behind the scenes working to get Game of Microphones up and running. It was also so fun having her on. I love her. Yeah, I love she's you, Lady great. Lisa. <laughs> she's so cool. She's also a world-class artist, like seriously amazing. I don't even know. I'm blown away by all of her work. I loved the one that she did of George R.R. R. Martin and yeah, Rhaegar really Targaryen. The, the Robin Williams one is amazing too. I think that's my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You can check out her amazingly illustrated children's book, The People You May See, available now on Amazon.com. You can also check her work out at fineartsbylisa.com and on Instagram and Facebook at slash fine arts by lisa next episode we'll be covering season six episode four book of the stranger give it a watch and send us your thoughts we'd love to read them on air if you'd like to call you can call us at 813 joffrey that's 813-563-3739. I have to admit, when I first listened to this podcast and that was the phone number, I loved it. Yeah, totally. That was such a surprise at the end. I was like, oh my God, I want that phone number. <laughs> if you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. And while you're there, give us a like and review. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. Likes, comments, and shares are also greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. And now it begins. No. Now it ends. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 3, Oath... Oathbreaker. I almost said Oathkeeper. I know. Every time I, uh, I go to say Oathkeeper, even when I'm typing it and I'm like, fuck, Do you fuck, want fuck. me to redo that? Unless you think that's funny and you want to keep it, it's up to you. We totally can. That's fine. <laughs> All right. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so, Pycel farts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> yes, I love that.
It's like perception is reality. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense from your perspective. But he's offering her like a real serious solution. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it definitely works this time. Uh, yeah. I will say he is looking quite fit. Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, doesn't her kid have a breathing problem or something? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We'll cut your fucking head off, basically. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. No, now it ends. (laughs) (laughs) That was an awesome impression. (laughs) So as far as we know, Arthur Dane is buried under that cairn, but we haven't seen his body, you know, type thing. (laughs) Yeah, he's like Tupac. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. One at a time, the guys will attack the person and they'll, yeah. beat, you know, they'll beat off the, the assailant. <laughs> what, do want, what do you want me to do? Whack a guy off a guy? Whack off a guy? Because I'm married. Uh, don't beat off your assailants, people. Fend off the... <laughs> the, the he, yeah, so typically they'll fend off one attacker at a time. But here, yeah, he doesn't fight he in the tournament. He says I'm not going to fight in the tourney because I don't want people to see... What I can do. Maybe, maybe that's really saying like, because I can't really do as much I can't as really do it. say. <laughs> yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, right? Sasquatch, Sasquatch. we know your legend's real. Sasquatch, Sasquatch. you... And tenacious D are real. And all the viewers, all the book readers especially are like, no, we need to see what's in the tower. We can't wait. (laughs) This is ridiculous. So Bran is just not having it. You know, we know he loves to stay inside these visions, whether he's warging into summer or whether he's touching the he's <laughs> touching an the roots. Yeah, he's chasing the dragon constantly. And so <laughs> there's a big ass dragon up up in <laughs> in or baby dragon in that tower at this point. Oh man, that was a nice metaphor that worked out perfectly. <laughs> so everything. everything. Okay, this is my number one. It had to be my number one. Yeah, right. Like, we see his butt. Come <laughs> yes. on. Is he a White Walker? <laughs> yeah. Or is he Jon Snow? Right, like, is this a good resurrection or an evil resurrection? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is this the Bible or is this Resident Evil? You know, which which direction is this story taking? Yeah, I mean, I've seen Melisandre birth a demon, so what is this thing <laughs> arising here? Hilarious. <laughs> Shorty had them apple bottom jeans <laughs> with the fur. <laughs> He's like, oh my god! Like nothing. There was nothing at all. So fucking ominous. Oh. <laughs> so fucking ominous. They stopped. <laughs> they stopped me. <laughs> they stopped me. They look pretty raw still. But they could just be really bad fresh scars, too. Danny loves that shit. Yeah, she's like, hoo-hoo. <laughs> she's like, I can feel your heart. You know? Literally. <laughs> Five or six full stab wounds to the chest, and he's still going strong. That's the type of man Danny needs in her life. She likes the bad boys. She likes the bad boys. I'm not, not a, a god. god. 
<laughs> what kind of god would have a pecker that small? And I love that John laughs at that. He <laughs> yeah. kind of smiles and... Stannis likes you and, st- and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. If I had to do it all over, knowing where I'd end up, I'd pray I'd make the right choice again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about the Benjamin Starks, baby. What did you call him? Full of bag full of assholes, crushed up assholes. <laughs> A bag full of mashed up assholes. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> the second they showed his face, I was like, "Oh, there's the bag of crushed up assholes." <laughs> you have, you Castle, have Black. Castle Black. No need to be afraid. This is Sir Gregor. He's friends <laughs> with all my friends. Jamie. <laughs> Jamie's like, <laughs> gets all freaked out. Hilarious. Sorry. You know, every time he's like, I demand a trial by combat. <laughs> yeah. So she's doing that. Anybody talking shit about the naked queen who walked the streets covered in poo? <laughs> poo. Covered in poo boobs. Poo boobs. I don't want to see these boobs. <laughs> see these boobs. <laughs> <laughs> these boobs are too wrapped up in character development. You know, you are nothing queen of your millionth name or whatever. like why would you tell me that see see they're spelled different but they sound the same yeah randall's like oh you make me sick and he's like so so do you father (laughs) man boobs (laughs) my next note is fucking awkwardness between Tyrion and missandei and gray worm jeez it's tense Grey Wind ripped off a couple of his fingers. Yeah, yeah. Love the that meat part. is bloody tough. <laughs> yeah, you've got a small pecker, aka I love you. Yes, boobs, <laughs> boobs, <laughs> boobs, <laughs> boobs. <laughs> That's about as low as I it's can just, go. <laughs> our whole our whole show is just gonna be boobs. <laughs> oh God. If you'd like to boobs, donate to boobs at boobs.com. 